Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The next two are not all. Alex, if the Cardinals are going to be able to make the playoffs this year, it's going to be on the back of their best player. And their best player is Nolan Arenado. And on Saturday and Sunday, you saw the kind of impact that he can have. He did it defensively. He did it at the plate. He finally came through in the biggest possible moments. He broke three ties in the series in the win over Cincy. He broke a scoreless tie in the first inning with his two-run homer and then ended up having, that was his 17th go-ahead home run so far this year. He was fantastic. And if the Cardinals are going to be able to get back into this thing and not just get into it, but actually win it, the second wild card, it's going to be because of Nolan Arenado. What a weekend for him. What a weekend for the Cardinals. They're officially in this wild card race. MVP! MVP! Okay. Well, let's not go that no? far. No, okay. No. Well, I mean, Tatis is hurt all the time, so it can't count, right? No, if you look around the teams right now that are either in the playoff or got into the playoff spots uh, the last couple of weeks or just this past weekend, you talk about the team's best players, right? Like you go to the Toronto Blue Jays who have leapt over the New York Yankees. Who do you talk about? Vladimir Guerrero Jr. You talk about, you know, right now, the Milwaukee Brewers. Well, who do you talk about? You talk about Corbin Burns and that pitching staff, their best player. When you go to the Cardinals, the first name that comes to mind is Nolan Arenado. And right this past weekend was exactly why they went out and acquired Nolan. And everyone talked about the Coors splits of how he wasn't going to be any good away from Coors Field. And in and, and all honesty, he's had some slow months this season where you've been like, man, he just broke through one. Yeah, but it's we there have been times that fans have looked at Nolan Arenado and said, man, is this what we acquired? The defense has been phenomenal all year, but offensively, I think it was a little underwhelming at times. But this past weekend, this is why he wanted to come to St. Louis, a playoff race like this. Now, I think he probably thought he would have been in a better scenario in terms of chasing Milwaukee. But you come to St. Louis 
and you get that extra energy because I don't know if that energy was ever there in Colorado because it never felt like you had the opportunity to win. And from what we've heard from Nolan Arenado's talk, from his teammates' talk, this guy feels rejuvenated here in St. Louis. So frankly, this is why they acquired this man. And if it wasn't for Nolan Arenado, which I've said this a lot about individual players, but this weekend was a perfect example. If not for Nolan Arenado, we're talking about an underwhelming weekend and probably out of a playoff race. So we've talked a lot about the pressure that Nolan Arenado puts upon himself and how he feels like he needs to carry this team. I felt like this weekend was the perfect example of that because Friday he had a rough game. He wasn't great offensively. He's popping up all the time. It felt like he was underneath everything. And after the game, he was the one that spoke to the media among the players. And here's what he had to say about both his performance offensively and the team's performance as a whole. It's hard to sit here and talk about what the team needs to do. And individually, I'm not doing a very good job. So I don't know. I really don't know. I think just be better. And I don't know the quite, quite the answer. Like I said, it's hard for me to speak on those things when I'm not really doing my job. So he says that Friday night. And then on Saturday, he goes out there and goes two for four with a homer and a triple. And then on Sunday, he Hold goes on, we out. need to actually enjoy that triple more than something. It's amazing. I mean, Arenado doesn't get triples. It was great. It's incredible. And then on Sunday, he goes out there and does it again, finishes with the home run, the go-ahead homer, and they win the game because of Nolan Arenado. That's the kind of thing that you need out of your best player. And as a result, the Cardinals are now one game back of the Cincinnati Reds in the San Diego Padres for the National League Wild Card. You've got the Phillies a game and a half back of the Cardinals, two and a half back of that final spot. The Mets are three games back of that final spot. Everybody is now in this thing. All five teams are fighting for one spot. And it's because the Cardinals were able to take two of three against a direct competitor in the Reds. You saw the Padres over the weekend get swept by the L.A. Dodgers. The Phillies lost three out of four against the Rockies. And the Mets actually looked pretty good over the weekend. They took two of three, ended up with the game-winning homer from, um, from Lindor last night against the Yankees. It was a big weekend for this NL wild card race. Here's my question to you, Alex. Are you back in? Are you back in on the Cardinals as a team to potentially beat in this race? Uh, can I say yes? <laughs> that was super inspiring. Well, here, I'm torn right now, one, because I know when I say yes, the text line is going to be like, no, you're not allowed back on the bandwagon, Ferrario. Fortunately, T-Bone can't try and push me off today, so that's good. He might not be breathing in Vegas. We're not really <laughs> sure there. Thank you. I'm going to say I'm back in. I'm going to say I'm back I on board with this. I don't this. feel it. I don't feel it. But I see, that's feel... where I'm at. I can say that I'm back in, but there's no energy behind it. There's no energy behind it. Like one person was the reason that you pulled out a victory against Cincinnati. And when you're not talking about being two games back of a wild card spot, mm -hmm. if it wasn't for that two run bomb from Nolan Arenado, you're going into New York where... Look, the Mets have had an underwhelming season, but as of late, they've been playing better. Francisco Lindor actually looks like the guy that they acquired. The Mets are you. And you're going up against a pretty solid pitching staff. And then from there, you take on the Padres. And I got to be honest with you. I think the Padres is going to be my telling point that this team can, can really get me back on board. Because if you can't take two of three against the Padres then you're not going to make the playoffs because you got to beat the teams that you're supposed mm -hmm. to beat. You just did it against Cincinnati. You need to do it against the Mets. So we put a 13-game measuring stick out there, I think, BK. I'm going to add six more. I'm going to add a six-game measuring stick because I'm just 
I'd like to say I'm on board, but man, I just can't put the energy behind it. I'm in. I'm in. Why not? Why not at this point? You just went through that 13-game gauntlet that you're referencing, Alex. You played six games against the Cincinnati Reds. You had to win four out of six. What'd they do? They won four out of six in those games. Did exactly what they needed to. And then they they held their ground enough against the pot, the uh, the Brewers and the Dodgers. When you do that, yeah, that's enough to earn my my spot back onto this bandwagon. And you're right, Alex. This week is the week that's going to determine their fate. You've got three games at New York, and then you've got three more this weekend at home against San Diego. This is going to determine whether or not the Cardinals are going to be able to have the final week matter for them. If you end up going four out of six in these six games, you're going to be in this wild card race until the very end, and I think they're going to have a very good shot to win it. If you don't, if you end up splitting or going two and four or less, yeah, this is probably it. This is probably the end of the road for the Cardinals because of who you're playing. It's not just that you're playing against quality opponents. It's the other teams that are competing for this spot in the wild card. So I'm in. There's no reason not to at this point. You are very much in this race with the last two weeks of this season remaining. The other thing, these other teams in the playoff race stink. They really All do. of the teams you're going up against are not good. They're all a reflection of what the Cardinals have been. In their last 10 games, here's what all of the second wild card competitors have done. The Padres are four and six. The Reds are four and six. Cardinals, high watermark, are five and five. <laughs> the Phillies are three and seven, and the Mets are also five and five in their last 10. None of these teams in their last 10 games are over 500. That's what you're going up against. These are all 500 teams that are lucky to be in this spot frankly you should have to win 90 games to get into the postseason this year somebody's gonna get in that did not win 90 games that's where we're at that's what the national league is and so as a result of that and as a result of nolan arenado's fantastic saturday and sunday i'm back on board marshy how many times have we counted this team out and they just hung around they're still there it's almost late september and they're one game out so it's hard to say hey they're not going to make it because every time we say this team is over, their their season's done, they claw right back into it. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. Boys, they're 2-0 and in their last two games. That's all that matters. <laughs> exactly. The Cardinals have won the games that they absolutely had to. And Mike Schiltz was asked over the weekend just how important it was that the Cardinals were able to get this series win. Alex, I think you're going to love his answer. Sure, they scratched and clawed. Yeah, I mean, we're in a position where we need to win as many games as possible and win the series both times is, um, was important. I wouldn't say it was, you know, absolute, but clearly very important for the standings. And we did it. We were able to take two out of three at their place and two out of three here and fought our tails off, hard-fought series, and came out on top. Marsh, you play the front of that again. To the beginning. Yeah, I mean, we're point. in a position where we need to win as many games as okay, possible. Okay, you can stop it there because he said later that well, it wasn't a must win, but we were in a position where we had to win as many games as possible. Mm -hmm. Hey, you know what? Props to Mike Schilt because I, I joke around a lot. I, I do really enjoy Mike Schilt. Joke around a lot, but I'll give this to him. He's kept his team in it, hmm? and he's kept the team's mindset in it. Whether that be him or the leaders in the locker room, I don't really know. But his team has stayed in this, and the the, the post-game comments that he makes of them being warriors and battling their butts off and scratching and clawing, again, we joke around about it. Have they not done that, though? Yeah, I think it's overplayed a little bit. I mean, since the All-Star break, they have scratched and clawed their way to a playoff spot.
Mike Schilt bingo. Seriously, we should make Mike Schilt bingo. We might have to do we that might for have next to do, year. No, I think we should do it for the stretch run because I guarantee you I'll get diagonal in like a heartbeat. <laughs> I, uh, the thing about it, and I'm not trying to downplay anything today because the Cardinals just won an awesome series. That was a big win, and it it felt like a playoff series at Bush Stadium over the weekend. And look, the they, crowds were into it, yeah. man. That was awesome. And they did it against the top three in the rotation for Cincinnati. Yeah. Like, you beat their best pitchers. That was a huge, huge, huge series for the Cardinals, and I am not trying to take anything away from what we saw over the weekend. However, if you're going to come on here and tell uh, me that they're Warriors and they're battling back and all these different... Man, they're four games above 500. The only reason they're really in this is because the Padres have cratered and the Reds failed to take advantage of their schedule. Yeah, but how many teams in the National League can say that they're four games above 500? I mean, the Phillies could be after the end of this the week. Mets. The Mets, the Reds, I mean, the Padres, the Dodgers, and that's only the wild card race, not to mention any of the division leaders. So there's a lot of them that are basically in the exact same spot as the Cardinals. And we can't use the the injury excuse anymore because all of these other teams that are in this race have also dealt with some significant injuries this year as well. That being said, I will absolutely give them credit for sticking with it because whether it be in individual games or after June, whatever you want to look at, they have absolutely battled back. But I don't want to build this into some 2011 narrative where they were 10 games back and they found a way to come. It hasn't been that. It's not the same thing as what we have seen from the Cardinals in the past, but they do deserve, deserve some credit. For, for finding a way to make it through despite some of their deficiencies well, as a team. Ladies and gentlemen, you got your wish because BK and Ferrario are back on board. Did you feel like Alex was back on board? No, no he he, he kind of was like, I'm not a really on this team, but yeah. this team claws and they fight their way back. But you know what, Marcy, this team, Marcy, uh, who invited you into this? Come on, Marcy. You did. You I guys did. did. Yeah, I feel like this I'm was here. both of us. I'm there's here a lot, right there's now. There's a lot of negativity starting with this show, guys, and we need to figure this out together as a team. Well, on the plus side, coming up next, we're going to have a little more positivity. We're talking Mizzou and Illinois. What a weekend it was for the local college football teams. With Alex Ferrario and Andrew Marsh, I'm Brandon Kiley. College Football Talk is next. Everybody love everybody! This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Andrew Marsh, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We talked a little about the Cardinals. A big weekend for them, Alex. They got themselves back into the playoff race. Less great for Mizzou and Illinois. I would say less great for one team. Was very less great, which is not a correct sentence, but it will be now for the other team. Dealer's choice. Who do you want to start with, the Illini or uh, or the fighting Missouri Tigers? We always got to start with the drinks team. Okay, let's start with the, let's start with the good, and then we'll get to the bad. So Eli Drinkwitz and the Missouri Tigers got down early, fourteen nothing, and then they continued to get down. They were down twenty eight to fourteen at one point, and they fought their way back and made it a game. I felt like my biggest takeaway from Saturday for the Missouri Tigers against Kentucky and Lexington was this. It was a reminder of the talent gap between Mizzou and the best teams in the SEC. And it was a a, a bit of a reality check for Mizzou fans like yourself, Alex, who thought this team had any chance of going 10-2. This is not a 10-2 team. 
This is the very early beginnings of what Eli Drinkwitz is trying to build. They deserve credit for making that more of a game than it probably should have been because they had no right to be in that game of late. And yet they found a way to have the ball with a chance to tie it on the road in a hostile environment in Kentucky. All of that being said, it was basically what I expected. I thought Kentucky would win. I thought it would be close. I thought Missouri would make it a, a scrappy type of a game. And that's exactly what it ended up being. I was wrong about everything in the college football weekend. The only thing I got right this weekend was that Missouri versus Kentucky game. And I thought it pretty much went about as Missouri fans should have expected. Well, the only thing I got right this weekend was that Missouri-Kentucky victory. And that's going to help me in the BK and Ferrari will pick them. We'll address that later. <laughs> I don't want to. We'll address we that later address because, that woof, am I right, guys? But in all honesty, I, I didn't How'd make... the Packers do? Did they do okay this they weekend? They were really good. Was Ohio State good? They were really how'd good. O- how'd Iowa State do? Yeah, you should have learned your lesson. Both of us should have learned our <laughs> lesson. Stop God, picking man. against Iowa right now. I don't want to do this pick em challenge oh, yeah. anymore. <laughs> I can't wait to figure out what the text line has for the punishment this week, too, because oh, no. we might have another dual punishment for how bad BK and T-Bone were. Tanner didn't go 0-3. Yeah, he did. Uh, he had Virginia. Yeah, only only one of us went 0-3 this week. God, I can't wait for this. I really hope this one's going to be punishable for you. Um, In all honesty, though, I really didn't expect Mizzou to win against Kentucky, but I expected it to be closer than what it was after that first half. Sure. I I was impressed at least to say that they they ended the game to where – it felt like an improvement from years past, right? Like, because years past, I think that would have been a blowout in the second half. And we're talking about uh, this Mizzou team might not be what we thought they were. But after that loss, it felt like Eli was trending in the right direction with this team. The recruiting has been phenomenal. I really felt like the offensive decision-making was really good once again. Little interested of what's going on with uh, Bazelak because that injury didn't look good. He said he's fine after the game. I If, he, if there was like a... 10% chance that he could re-injure anything that took place He's on Saturday. Don't don't play him against Simo. No. There's there's no reason to risk that. No, but regardless, offensively I felt like that this team is trending in the right direction. Now defensively, and it, I I felt like it got better kind of like what we saw in week 1 BK, but tell me your thoughts because it just feels like I don't know if if they're not fully prepared for the opponent or if the decision making just does, isn't coming through. But the tackling has just been off these last couple of weeks. Yeah. I mean, week one, they missed all kinds of tackles. They did it again against Kentucky. Like, what's going on here? They don't have the players. I mean, it's that simple. They, like, I wish – so there's there's two different ways to look at this. On, on one respect, this is – this makes you optimistic as a Missouri fan because it's not the scheme. The scheme is not the problem. Steve Wilkes is fine. What he's doing defensively makes a lot of sense for them. So that's good in the big picture, the long-term sense. The short-term, immediate future sense, it's terrible because you don't have the players for this year. The D-line is not good outside of Trajan Jeffcoat, and you don't have an SEC-caliber starting linebacker right now. There's not a single one on the roster. Blaze Aldridge is a fine player, great story. I hope he ends up having a fantastic season and shoves it in my face, and it ends up looking silly that I said this today. But so far this year against the run their linebackers are a massive liability they have nobody in the interior of the defensive line outside of their true freshman makai wingo that stepped up in any way shape or form 
And outside of Trajan Jeffcoat, they have nothing in terms of pass rush along that defensive line. Just so just missing tackle after tackle after tackle. And it's like, what is going on here, guys? Like, yeah. Just take the legs out. Yeah, they, they have no linebackers and their run fits on the defensive line have been atrocious so far this year. So that's that's bad for the immediate future. Long term, that makes me feel a little better about it because once they get more talent, which they've been recruiting very well, I think this defense is going to be perfectly fine. But for the here and now, it's going to be an issue. And it's yeah. going to be an issue in particular against teams like Texas A&M and Georgia and Florida and Arkansas. You hope that it's not an issue against teams like Boston College, Tennessee, North Texas, Vandy, etc. And if it's not, then you're going to be fine and you're going to finish the year something like 7-5, and 8-4, and four, maybe if everything goes your way. But realistically speaking, you should be looking at a 7-5 and five type of a season this year. So Missouri, nothing for me in terms of my expectations changed over the weekend. And it sounds like Eli Drinkwitz is kind of on that same line. Yeah, I'm proud of, I'm proud of my football team. Really freaking proud of them. I mean, they fought their butt off in a hostile crowd down, you know, didn't start the game the way we wanted to. The second half didn't start the way we wanted to. They freaking fought their butt off, blocked a field goal and gave us a chance to win the game. We didn't get it done, um, but there's no reason to hang our heads. There's no reason to, 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 you know, panic. Anybody that needs to panic or jump on Twitter and go crazy, like relax. It's week two on the road night, SEC football game versus a good opponent. We had a chance to win. We didn't get it done. We'll go back to work tomorrow uh, and we'll go to fixing it. And that's what we're, we're going to do. A um, lot of football season left. Whole heck of a lot of football season left. And I tell you what, I saw a bunch of fighters in that locker room. Real quick, BK, what's the difference between Eli Drinkwitz post game presser and Mike Schultz post game presser? Uh, believability. <laughs> I mean, like what what he just said. I the other thing is that he's not doing 162 of them. Yeah. Like, let's be honest. That that's part of it with Schilt, right? If he was doing 12 of them instead of 162. It would be a totally different vibe that we get. It wouldn't be the same thing over and over and over every single time that we come onto the show. So that's that's a big part of this. I agree with everything Eli, Eli Drinkwitz just said there. It's a night SEC game on the road for a team that we had no idea what to expect of them coming into the season. And they performed admirably. They, they certainly were not perfect, and there's a lot that they need to get fixed moving forward, but they should win big next weekend against SEMO, and then we'll find out a little bit more about them once they go up to Boston College. All right, next one up, we got to take a moment to talk about Illinois because what the bleep was that? That's what you call a ugly loss. Oh, boy. All of the momentum that I hoped that they had gained after week one when they beat the tar out of Nebraska, and I know that was a close game by the score. It wasn't a close game when you watched it all that much. Well, they lost that against UTSA, and that was kind of to be expected. We all thought that that was very much possible against uh, UTSA. Getting beat 42-14 to against or against Virginia, I know they've got a great quarterback over there at UVA. You shouldn't lose that game like that. The defense is a huge problem right now for Brett Bielema. And kind of like what I said about Mizzou, this is a talent issue. It's going to take some time for him to build the program that he wants this to be. And for the rest of the season, now we're into evaluation mode for Illinois. And it started quick, but that's where we're at, man. It's going to be hard to find a whole lot of wins on this schedule now. If you're not able to be competitive on the road against Virginia, I'm not really expecting them to compete in any sort of significant way this weekend against Maryland. Um, per- Purdue could be a tough one for them. It's it's a tough road moving forward for Illinois to find more than maybe three wins on the schedule. 
So it, it's a true rebuild. We knew that coming into the season. We got thrown off of that scent after week one, and that's where we're at now after week three. Yeah, I know they're in a different conference than what Mizzou is, but it does feel like they're five steps behind Eli Drinkwitz and the Tigers, and a lot of it is recruiting and personnel. I, I mean, you could just tell that they were mismatched in terms of secondary defense to allow 405 yards from Virginia, and they came away with an interception, but, I mean, there was no answer for their air game, and a couple of them were, were, were long throws. So they feel like they are a a big work in progress. They feel like what Mizzou was when they originally hired Barry Odom, right? Like they, it feels like you are w- way far behind than what Eli Drinkwitz has finally got oh, to. Yeah. Can it change? I don't know because you got internal competition between these two uh, in terms of personnel from Missouri and the Illinois side. But it, you know, it, that is nothing compared to what we saw in Week One against that vi- or for the victory against Nebraska. I mean, Lovey Smith did not leave them in a good spot when it came to the talent that he had on the roster. Two years ago, when they went six and seven on the season, we we kind of thought, okay, maybe they're trending in the right direction. And then it took twelve steps backward last year, and that's where you're at right now. You've inherited a program. If you're Brett Bielema, that has won fourteen games over the last four seasons. It's going to take a while to be able to resurrect something like that. I think he'll get there. I think he'll get you to the place of respectability over the next couple of seasons. But it's a long process in college football sometimes, so we got to give him a little bit more rope than this to be able to judge what he really is as a coach at Illinois. With Alex Ferrario and Andrew Marsh, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, which NFL teams did we learn the most about in week one of the season? We'll talk about that coming up at 1045. But coming up next, our Cardinals insider Katie Wu of The Athletics is going to join the show to talk about Nolan Arenado's huge weekend, Adam Wainwright's big start tonight, and what she expects from the Cardinals and what might be their defining week of the season part 27 that's coming up next from katie Wu on 101 espn this is the bk and ferrario podcast now here's bk and ferrario that's alex ferrario i'm brandon kiley it's bk and ferrario filling in for the danny mac show here on 101 espn and right now we are happy to go out to the brown and crouppen celebrity line to be joined by the one and only katie Wu. she's the cardinals insider for the athletic you should read her work over there subscribe to the athletic for all the fantastic work they do on st louis sports you should also follow her on twitter she is at katie j Wu. katie always appreciate the time on a monday morning how you doing today Gentlemen, good morning. Um, I am alive and well in New York, ready for uh, three days of Cardinals-Mets to totally normal organizations. What could possibly go wrong? Katie, quick question. Are you going to do the thumbs down tonight at the game? Um, well, Zach Silver isn't there today, so probably not. Oh, okay. Maybe it's a thumbs up. <laughs> I, I like that. I don't know. I feel like it's the reverse, right? So your thumbs down that you're, one of your favorite people in the press box is gone. That's that's all that is, right? Favorite is a stretch, but of course. <laughs> Katie was joining us here on 101 ESPN. I'll leave that one for you. You can go ahead and deal with the backlash from that. Uh, Katie, what would you think of the Cardinals over the weekend? You take two of three against the Reds. You take four of six against them in these two big series over the last couple of weeks. Uh, that that felt like some must-win games on Saturday and Sunday. What was your impression? Oh, they were absolutely must-win games. And I, I honestly thought maybe even the bigger thing was splitting the series with the Dodgers. Um, seeing how the Cardinals fell behind in the first two games to Los Angeles, it was not looking great. Uh, but then, of course, uh, it should be no surprise by now, Adam Wainwright comes out and writes the ship, and they are able to split the series against L.A., which was huge. And then they roll in, and they take the series against Cincinnati. But it was the way that they did it. 
I thought that Miles Michaelis, who started on Saturday, when he said this is a win that could really keep, get us going, I thought that said a lot because how the Cardinals won Saturday, I think, set the table for Sunday and the momentum that they'll carry into this week. I mean, they won with Nolan Arenado, who 24 hours before was lamenting his performance, saying he wasn't performing up to expectations, that he hadn't been good enough, he hadn't been playing very good. Comes up and has to go ahead two run home run in the eighth. And what it did was obviously, as we all know, propel the Cardinals to six unanswered runs against the Reds. It was the first time all season they'd come from behind a four run deficit. And they really carried the momentum into Sunday. Jay Happ was excellent. The bullpen was excellent. That's a huge series. Um, and, and they also, that momentum builds off what other teams are doing too. You look at the Padres, who are spiraling desperately. Dodgers go in and sweep San Diego. Cardinals take care of business against the Reds. All of a sudden, they're one game out of the playoffs. If one team knows how to do an improbable and most times illogical but possible September 3rd, it's the St. Louis team. Katie, are we starting to see the impact of, of Nolan Arenado? And I say that kind of feeling crazy because Arenado has been really good this season. He's had spurts where he has struggled. But are we really seeing the impact of his acquisition in these last few games? I would think so. And I, I agree with you. It's funny that we're over here saying, oh, Nolan Arnado hasn't been very good when he's hit 30 home runs on pace for 100 RBIs. And, you know, pretty excellent season was an all-star. And to his standard, it's horrible. Um, I, I think that says a lot about Nolan Arnado and the competitor that he is and the type of player that he is. But if there is a time where Nolan is going to step up, it's right now. I mean, he came to St. Louis for a reason, correct? He came to St. Louis to play in meaningful September games, to play in the postseason, to have an opportunity to compete. This is the kind of environment he strives for. This is the kind of environment he didn't have a lot of experience with in Colorado and why he wanted to come to St. Louis. He wanted to compete. He wanted to play meaningful baseball. Here it is, and he delivered in both games, Saturday and Sunday, and I would expect that to continue. Um, I think the Cardinals need it to continue if they want to continue clawing into this playoff picture. And, you know, it's not as if they are out there, they're playing spectacular baseball. They're playing good baseball, right? They're winning series. They're doing what they need to do. But the teams around them are also spiraling. Mm -hmm. And again, that kind of momentum can really help a team like the Cardinals go from playing good baseball to playing spectacular baseball just based on the momentum around them. Katie, I feel like we've said this no fewer than 24 times this season, but is this the defining week for the Cardinals? <laughs> Isn't every week a defining week? <laughs> every day seems like it is, Katie. Right. No, no kidding. But I totally get where you're coming from. I mean, you look at this week, you have three games against the Mets, you have three games against the Padres. Like this is a, a very pivotal week um, for, for all these teams. I mean, there's five teams vying for one spot right now. Uh, I think this is where we will be able to find out if the Cardinals are serious. If they can continue winning series, if they can take two or three from the Mets, if they can take two or three from San Diego, they're feeling a lot more confident about their odds going into the final two weeks of the season where they'll have the Brewers twice and the Cubs twice. So I think they have everything to prove this week. If the Cardinals want to prove their September surge is legit, and they've again, they've been playing decent baseball. They've been playing enough to win. They've been competitive and even in most of their losses, which have all been great signs. But if they're really going to put the pressure on these teams, you know, it's the Reds and the Padres' spot to lose. Um, and it's the Cardinals to take advantage of. This is the week that they would do so. Katie, I think a lot of people after the last few weeks have been curious of what's going to happen with this bullpen, whether it's the closer situation, how they use Alex Reyes, what happens in the big three spots that's usually built up. Were you impressed by the bullpen from this past weekend? And do you feel like the Cardinals have found their new consistent closer in Giovanni Gallegos? 
Absolutely. You know, for as devastating as the Cardinals' ninth inning losses as of late have been, the overall bullpen has been excellent. I mean, you look at Luis Garcia, who leads the majors in consecutive innings pitched without allowing a run at 24 now. TJ McFarland had a little bit of a hiccup on Friday, but he's been excellent pretty much since coming over to the Cardinals. Giovanni Gallegos has thrived as a closer. He seems, you know, that when the Cardinals moved into that closing role, they cited his splits against righties and lefties as being pretty good on both sides. He has the composure for it. He likes the big moment. He's been pitching really well. And I like what I'm seeing from Alex Reyes as a shift to find him a new role. I like that he's been able to extend to multiple innings, and we've seen him been able to improve the consistency of his pitches. I mean, Alex Reyes has really nasty stuff. It's just been a matter of how consistent he's been able to perform those pitches. And I think the more that we see Alex in these stretches, the more of an opportunity he has, where he has this opportunity to continue building on those without the high leverage ninth inning situation where a lot of pressure arises. So I really like what the bullpen has done. Um, I think it's been a huge pivotal role in why the Cardinals have been so successful. We tend to get so caught up in those ninth inning losses and, and, and blame the bullpen. But, I mean, you look at days like yesterday, for example, Cabrera was excellent. Velocity was high. McFarland goes in and gets a double play ball. Garcia was excellent. Gio closes it out. That kind of bullpen has been really efficient and, in my opinion, has been on display much more consistently than those ninth inning losses, which, which don't get me wrong, sting a lot. <laughs> um, but I, I think overwhelmingly so, the Cardinals bullpen has been a huge factor on why they're still in it. Katie Wu of The Athletic joining us here on 101 ESPN for another couple of minutes. Katie, you had a great piece over the weekend on Paul DeYoung. You were able to talk with him about what this season has been like for him, why for him it's the the mental side of the game that has maybe taken a little bit of a step back and what his future is going to hold with the Cardinals. He got some playing time over the weekend with Edmundo Sosa being out with that wrist, in, wrist injury and the Cardinals were rewarded with the home run that we saw what was your impression from talking with him about what this season has been like? And do you think he could have a role for the Cardinals down the stretch? I think absolutely. Um, I, I think if Paul, I mean, Paul had a really good series. He had some great at bats started with the two walks. He took a couple of games prior to his solo home run and single on Saturday. Um, I think for Paul, it's just been some, for someone who is so analytical and consumed in his own mental approaches as Paul is. I'm not saying that in a negative way. This is just how he prefers to operate. That can make hitting really tough, especially when you're struggling. Um, so to see Paul have those good at-bats and, and been able to take advantage of a situation where they didn't have Sosa, it would lead me to believe, and this is a good problem to have, that the Cardinals are going to split time between DeYoung and Sosa. And while Sosa has been excellent, he's been so much fun to watch, Paulie has that power that has been consistently on display, even though the average hasn't. So it, again, it's a good problem to have when you have two shortstops where both have their, their perks and their drawbacks. I would expect, I still think Sosa would get an edge playing time-wise, but if Paul continues to hit, then I imagine Mike Schultz playing the matchups a little bit more and getting creative. And maybe it's something that we saw yesterday when Paul started and Sosa finished. Um, again, though, it's a good problem to have when you have two guys vying for the same spot and both are plausible options. There was a time where DeYoung just wasn't a, a solid option for this club, and so that's where we saw Sosa get a bulk of the start. But if Paul DeYoung can continue hitting and can continue showing some sort of a, a better approach at the plate, I would expect to see both of them in there pretty consistently. Katie, I'm going to ask the expert here because BK asked me to open up the show if I'm ready to buy back in after this weekend's success. And I know they're a game out, but I have always felt this Cardinals team takes two steps forwards and then they take three steps back. After this six-game stretch where they are important games, how many victories do you think the Cardinals need for me to buy back in? This week, I think they need to go four of six. 
same thing as we saw over this series. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, that Grand Slam in Milwaukee was brutal. And then they come out and they fall two games flat against the Dodgers after that. And I can see why optimism would wane and why it would just be like, you know, this is not – they're not going to make the playoffs. But then they fired back and, and won four of their next five. So I think if they win four of six, if they win the series, uh, then, yeah, you should get really excited, especially given who the series are against and how that would shape up in the wild card standings. So like this Cardinals have been saying all along, if they win series, that's all they can really ask for. And for the most part, they've been doing that. There you go, listeners. Four wins. That's what they need. Katie, that's what I needed. Final question for Katie Wu of The Athletic. Katie, can you give us an update on what the Cardinals are expecting out of Jack Flaherty and Dakota Hudson down the stretch? Are we realistically going to be able to see those guys pitch for this team? I think so, yes. Um, I can't speak for Dakota as I haven't talked to him, but Jack is optimistic he'll return. They will probably not return as starters. They will probably be back in limited capacity roles if they do return just based on the calendar and based on the amount of time it takes to ramp back up. However, you know, and while this is a very fluid situation, it depends on a lot of things, having a little bit of Jack Flaherty back is better than having none of it, right? Mm -hmm. And if you have Dakota Hudson in as some relief innings and some high leverage roles, you know, there's a chance that Dakota could piggyback. Maybe Jack starts and goes a few innings and Dakota piggybacks off that. You've seen Alex Reyes take a couple of innings and kind of a more multiple inning leverage kind of role. You know, there's a lot of flexibility here. Um, Obviously, again, everything is fluid. Jack will start throwing off of a a mound and do, I believe, a side session or a bullpen on their targeting around the 16th. Again, this is fluid. Things change all the time. And uh, Dakota Hudson is slated for one more rehab assignment in Memphis before the club evaluates what's next. Um, But if the Cardinals are going to push all their chips in for this wild card spot and both arms are healthy, I would expect both of them back by the end of the season. And again, probably not in starter roles, but in roles nonetheless. Interesting. Katie, we'll be watching for all of that. We'll certainly be reading your coverage over at The Athletic. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. As always, we'll talk with you again soon. You got it, guys. Have a great week. Absolutely. That's Katie Wu joining us here on 101 ESPN Live from New York, where the Cardinals will take on the New York Mets. Wayno on the mound against Rich Hill tonight, Woodford tomorrow, and then Lester in game three of this series. All in New York, all six o'clock first pitches out there against the Mets. I did read something on Dakota Hudson, who I believe went five innings of work yesterday for Springfield, Mm -hmm. and they said that it's projected one more start in Memphis. And then the hope is if that checks out correctly he would join the cardinals which i believe would be in that milwaukee series so if he went yesterday you would assume that his next start will come on friday um and then he would probably be available to the cardinals the following tuesday ish if he's going to be in some kind of bullpen capacity so that's the 21st and if you're looking at the cardinals schedule yeah that would be right in the middle of that brewer series so it's possible you get dakota hudson back in a not insignificant role I mean, maybe you see him, maybe actually you see him on Monday as the backup for Jake Woodford in case Woodford runs into any trouble. It sounds like you're going to see 50 to 60 pitches ish as the limit right now for Dakota Hudson. And if you can have that guy coming in as your long man in the bullpen, that's a super helpful player, especially, I mean, they've had TJ McFarland and look at the kind of role that he's carved out for himself as a individual inning reliever. Now imagine a guy that can get double plays and then can come in for two or three more innings. That's what you could potentially have out of Dakota Hudson. And he's been super effective so far down in the minors. So it's it's a big thing for them to potentially get him back for the stretch run. I'm less optimistic about Jack Flaherty. I know the team is giving every reason to believe that he can come back. Man, if he's going to do like if he's about to throw off of a mound for the first time this week and he has done nothing in terms of going down to the minors just yet. 
I don't know, man. If, if I'm the Cardinals, that is not something I want to push, given what we've already seen from him this season. Yeah, I mean, maybe I use him in a bullpen role like Katie mentioned, but I'm, I am not starting him for the rest of the season. No. Even if there's a playoff series, I'm not starting him because I'm not jeopardizing next year. At most, maybe I can get 100% out of him for an inning. Like I, I or do can't. an Alex Reyes method in, in two innings from him. Maybe. If you can work him back up, maybe, maybe that's the way you do it. But I, I wouldn't Hell, make expect him the closer like Wayno as a closer. There you go. It's worth a shot. That's Alex Ferrario. He is Andrew Marsh, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in 15 minutes or so, we'll get into BK and Ferrario, the start of our real show coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Coming up next, which NFL team did we learn the most about in week one? We'll finish out the Danny Mac show coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. On second down, aired out, Deontay Harris. He's got it. Touchdown. Another for Winston. That's Alex Ferrario. He is Andrew Marsh. I'm Brandon Kylie. That was one of the highlights of the weekend, courtesy of Fox Sports, as I guess Jameis Winston can see now. And Rodgers apparently can't. <laughs> he got LASIK surgery, and suddenly it's like, oh, okay, Jameis Winston looks pretty good out there. And on the other side, to your point, Alex, what the hell was that from Aaron Rodgers and the Packers? That is as much of a stinker as you're going to see from anybody all season long. We open up with that because I feel like we learned a lot about both of those teams. Who was the team you learned the most about this weekend, Alex? Week one of the NFL season, ripe for overreactions, and I'm sure there's going to be plenty of them that look <laughs> silly two weeks from now. But your biggest takeaway, the thing that you felt like you learned the most about from week one was what? Cardinals. Uh, I I should apologize to Kyler Murray right now because I, I did not think he was going to be a good enough quarterback to help Arizona take that next step. And after watching what they did against Tennessee, and look, I understand Tennessee's defense is really bad, so Kyler's not going to be that good moving forward. But what might be is their defense because Tennessee has a really good offense, and Cardinals found a way to shut it down. I mean, mm -hmm. Chandler Jones looked like Chandler Jones from the New England Patriots for how good he was. Their secondary seems to be really solid with Buda Baker kind of the, 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 uh, the centerpiece of that. So for me, I think I learned the most about the Arizona Cardinals because I think they are a legitimate threat in the NFC West. Marshy, who was your team that you felt like you learned the most about this week? I was also going to say the Cardinals. Well, you can't, oh, Marshy. of their defense. I, I've always been high on Kyler Murray, but I think I haven't. I think the Saints. I think I feel like you have to go with the Saints. We talked about Jameis Winston, and a lot of people didn't have confidence in him. You know he. I don't even think that he even knows what he was doing. Uh, did you see his post-game press, his post-game interview? Of course. We're going to get he into just, that later oh, today. Yeah, just, it was tremendous. Yeah. Well, like it always is. But I just, I thought they, they did everything they needed to do against the Packers. Now, I don't think the Packers are, what they showed yesterday is not what we will see the rest of the year. Um, but I thought the Saints did a great job and they're going to give the Buccaneers a run for their money in the, in the NFC South for sure. Bold prediction. The Packers are going to look pretty good next week when they play against the Lions. That's a bold prediction? It's a super bold prediction. Monday night of next week, one week from tonight, I'm very confident that the Packers are going to put together a, a much better game than they did against the Saints. <sighs> Joke's on you. Dan Campbell's going to find a way to <laughs> yeah. kneecap Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> it it is very turn much possible. Take a bite out of his knee. We'll talk a lot about all of these games as we go forward Tanya over the Harding, year. not Tanya Turner. I don't know why I said Tanya Turner. It's, all right. it's it, Tina Turner. It's, you combine two people. I get Yikes. it, man. 
The team that I learned the most about in the negative was the Jacksonville Jaguars. This is not going to be good, boys. Didn't we make a bet last week? Didn't you say that Jacksonville was going to be better than Houston at the end of the season? Kind of felt like that. You want to give me that six-pack now, or you want to let the season play out? I should just... Apparently, <laughs> football is like my sport. Not it's any- the sport that I grew up playing. It's the sport that I probably like know the most about schematically and everything. I didn't know bleep this weekend. <laughs> like I got everything wrong on college football. I got everything wrong on the NFL. I'm tied for last in our pick'em challenge so far. It's been a nightmare for me when it comes to picking football. And one of the teams that I was the most wrong about on the opening weekend was the Jaguars. I did not think they were going to be good this year. I thought they could win like six games. Six and 11 felt about right to me, and you were going to see some moments from Trevor Lawrence. By the way, he did have some moments against the Texans where he looked very good. Mm -hmm. The problem is the rest of his team is awful. That defense is really bad. Worse than I thought. Mm -hmm. Bad. They made Tyrod Taylor look like Deshaun Watson. If you're losing like that against the Texans, dude... It's tough to find wins on this schedule. They've got Denver next week, who looked pretty good against the Giants. Arizona, who you just said was your most impressive team of the week. The Bengals had one of the most surprising wins Mm -hmm. of the week. And then Tennessee, who I have no idea what to make of them. You talked about the Cardinals side of things. The Titans offense looks completely out of sorts against the Cardinals. And I think the Cardinals defense has improved. They're not what they showed against Mm -hmm. Tennessee and then you've got Miami going into the bye week. That looks like it has 0-6 written all over it going into the bye for the Jags. I don't know, man. That might be a two-win team again this year. I, and I, I thought they were going to be bad, not that bad. I don't though. know how much I'm buying into Urban Meyer with that team. Oh, I and I know it's only one game, but, man, he doesn't look like he knows what he's, knows what he's doing out there. There's mm-hmm. every reason to believe that it's going to go poorly. And I, I liked the hire. I, again, am going to be wrong about that as well, along with everything <laughs> else with football. But Maybe you should stick to hockey. I was right on the Blues. Uh, I thought it was an inspired hire when they made it. And it's every report seems to indicate that it's going incredibly poorly thus far. Mm-hmm. And then you see what they looked like in week one. They looked completely unprepared against the Texans. It wasn't just that they don't have the talent, because that's one thing. There's a lot of teams that don't have the talent. But the Lions, for example... They looked prepared. They Jared fought Goff. back. Yeah. I credit where it's due. I mean, we made fun of Dan Campbell for the biting the kneecap off and then get back up and then fall back down. That's basically what his team did mm-hmm. on Sunday against the 49ers. There was none of that from the Jags on Sunday. So they were the team that I learned the most Campbell about. probably poured two shots of espresso into all of their drinks before the game. It's like, yeah, you boys are going to be on my level today. And all of them ended up having to go to the bathroom, and that's why they didn't end up performing well. Makes a lot of, of sense. Yeah, it makes sense suddenly. That's Alex Ferrario. He is Andrew Marsh, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up at 1130, we're going to talk to our guy David Schoenfeld, ESPN's MLB writer. He's got the national perspective on this National League wild card race. Who's he like? Maybe more so. Who does he think has the best chance to not fail? We'll talk about that with David Schoenfeld coming up at 1130. But coming up next, over the weekend, I felt like it was the first time that we saw emotion from the Cardinals that could have some long-lasting effect. We'll tell you why next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Short lead at first by Nolan Arenado, and that is hammered down the left field line. It is gone! It's a line shot homer! Yanni's pumped up. Second home run during the homestand, and we're tied up at 2-2. Two, two. Arenado hits it out to deep left. How about number 30? You bet! 30 home runs! Nolan Arenado, and what a time to 
The 0-2. The strikeout for Giovanni Gallegos. The Cardinals hold on. It's a shutout. 2-0 the final, and they take two of three. Huge wins over the weekend. Cardinals win two of three against the Cincinnati Reds. And with Alex Ferrario and Andrew Marshawn, Brandon Kylie, that audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. Alex, I want to focus in for a moment on Yadier Molina and Nolan Arenado to open our show today. I thought they had infectious energy on Saturday and Sunday. And on Friday night as well, it didn't end up leading to a W for the Cardinals. But I thought Yadier Molina's home run on Friday started out the weekend the way that it needed to be started. That team had some some gumption about him. Yadier Molina looked like he was in October mode or in World Baseball Classic mode. He was celebrating as he went around the bases. Now, you see that every once in a while from a player, but it's pretty rare that you see it like that. And then Nolan Arenado, when he rounded the bases and got to home and let out like a primal roar as he touched the plate, that's the kind of thing that this team's going to need down the stretch. I talk about the urgency with Mike Schilt and how it frustrates me sometimes that he's unwilling to say, even after the fact, that it was a must-win game for them. Even in this series, he still said afterwards, yeah, no, it wasn't completely necessary that we would win two out of three. First of all, yes, it was. You had to start racking up some victories in games against the teams that you're going up against head-to-head in the wild card race. And second of all, just say it was. The players are all coming out after these games saying that we needed those victories in a big way. Yadier Molina clearly saw the importance of that series. So did Nolan Arenado. They're all ready to go now. I don't know what it's going to lead to, man. I have no idea where this season ends or if it gets to the postseason for him. But if it's going to, the way that happens is by your leaders, your best players, the guys that are everybody looking to in that clubhouse. Those guys have to play the way they, that Yadier Molina and Nolan Arenado did over the weekend. I thought that was huge. Frankly, I think it's a carryover from what Wainwright has done all season because Wainwright has that primal instinct every time he's on the mound, it seems like. I mean, you go back to a couple of starts ago where he said, and I believe it was on Carriker and Smallman on their Wednesday's hit, uh, he said that it's like, you go ahead and tell me that we only got a 3% chance of making the playoffs because I'll take that to the mound every time I start. And he does that. But Yachty and Arenado, I think, are are already in that. And look, it is a taxing season, and we all understand that, but we joke around about it as well. You get through the dog days of the summer, and I know that was done after the All-Star break and the playoff push started then, but you don't really start to taste it until the weather starts to change. And I think once it hits September, I think it really started to fall into perspective for Arenado and Molina and the leaders on this team that like, hey, we are here, and it's time to take it to the other teams. And that's what you have seen from Yachty in his entire career. That's what you saw against the Cincinnati Reds. But I'll go to the Arenado point that you made, BK. That's why you brought him here. That's why you traded for a guy like Nolan Arenado. Because guess what? Other than Yachty and Ueno, I don't think you have any of those guys on your roster. I don't think you have any of those guys that have that. I don't know what to label it as. But basically what he did when he touched home plate and just shouted... Not a lot of guys have that, I think, on this Cardinals Bader. roster. Bader, Bader does, does, but he has it in a different way. Bader's more exuberance than the fire-burning passion. I think Tyler O'Neill has some of that. I think we've seen that <sighs> from him. Know. Game-winning catches. The, the one that immediately comes to mind for me was the one that he had against the Dodgers yeah, but at every, the end of the game. But then when he hits a home run, he does like the 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 quick run through the bases, whereas like Nolan Arenado's going to milk it a little bit. Like, no, I'm going to enjoy this. And, and I see what you're saying, but... 
for me, it doesn't resonate within that clubhouse more than when Nolan Arenado does it, more than when Yachty does it, and more when Wayno does it. Totally fair. And when they acquired Paul Goldschmidt, you got a star. By the way, Reyes. Reyes is another one that's that another, has that. That's a really good one. When they acquired Paul Goldschmidt, you got a star. But when you acquired a Nolan Arenado, you acquired a guy that's basically like, boys, jump on my back and let's go. And you just saw that against the Cincinnati Reds. New Bar brings a little bit of that, too, with the bit. tongue. A little bit. What do, like you mean with so. the, what do you mean with the tongue, Marshy? What are you talking and about? And I don't appreciate you following it up with you like that. <laughs> Easy, Kirk. 65780 is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show throughout the day from the 314. Guys, can we please stop saying that any game is must win for this team? Every game is must win. There's not going to be another loss on the season where people are like, well, we can go ahead and afford to lose that one. See, I disagree with that. I think there are certain situations where you do have must win scenarios. And over the weekend, after you lost that first game to Cincinnati, the next two games became must win because of who you're playing. Now, if you go into the series against Chicago down the stretch, and of course the final series is a little different because that's when everything's on the line. But that four game set against the Cubs, when it's between, it's uh, it's sandwiched between the two series against Milwaukee. If you're kind of hanging in there with everybody else and you're all basically tied in the race or whatever, if you lose that first game against Chicago, we're not gonna look back on that and be like, oh, that was a must win. It's different. It's different depending on who the opponent is and what the what the stakes are in that individual game. So I, I will push back on that a bit, kind of like the Dodger series. You had to win those final two. You had to after you lost the first two games of the series. Hopefully the Cardinals don't put themselves in that scenario again tonight. You've got Wayno on the mound. Given the way that the rest of this series sets up with Woodford tomorrow, and I just don't know what to expect out of him. He's been good of late. But could that revert back to the previous version? It's possible. And then you've got Lester on Wednesday. And again, I don't know what that's going to bring. Lester's been very good in his last couple of starts, but he's also been pretty bad for the majority of the season, both in a Cardinals uniform and previously with the Nationals. You got to win this one. You got to win this one with Wayno on the mound. He's going to give you every opportunity to do so. And once again, it's going to come down to your big guys. You need Arenado to continue showing out. You need Goldie to continue staying hot. If Paul DeYoung's in the lineup today, he's got to be sound defensively and he's got to come up with one big play over the course of the game. That's what you're going to need from the Cardinals tonight. This is a borderline must win once again. And I know people are sick of hearing it, but that's where you're at. This is where we're at in the schedule right now, especially given their opponents. It's not your job, Brandon, to decide if it's a must win. Mike Schilt will take care of that. But I will say this. I'm not as concerned about the pitching tonight nor this weekend than I am the offense. And this is why I'm still hesitant to be like, yep, I'm on board with this Cardinals team. And I understand awesome win yesterday against Cincinnati to close that out and shut down that high-powered offense with your starter and then your bullpen. But you can't be winning games if you're a playoff team two to nothing and hold it down. Like that's not going to last with this team because we've seen we've seen individual players in your bullpen hit the wall. Now, can Wayno go out there and throw nine innings strong against the Mets? Probably, which is why I'm not worried about pitching tonight. I got to see more of Nolan Arenado in the rest of your lineup. Show me Tommy Two Bags where he's hitting doubles left and right. Show you got me- it right this time. Of course I got it right. I'm not Tanner and I know Tommy extra base hit Edmund. I want to see <laughs> Dylan Carlson show me the guy who was in the running for rookie of the year at the beginning of the season. I want to see Paul Goldschmidt, the, the guy who's hot in July and August. Give me that group of players in this next six games. The pitching I know can do the job if they need to be. 
I still am not sold on the offense being able to do the job if they need him to. One guy that's going to need to do that for you is Yadier Molina. And we talked about him to open up this segment with some of his, his fire, passion, emotion that you saw over the weekend. He's having a very good September. And I do wonder, we, we got a text earlier about why did Yadier Molina sit on Sunday. I wonder if the rest is helping him. As sure much as we've is. gotten on to Mike Schiltz about, hey, this is this is the stretch run, man. You're going to need Yadier Molina out there. So far in eight games in the month of September, Yadier Molina is batting 250. That doesn't sound great. With a 600 slugging percentage so far this month, he has a double and three home runs to go along with eight RBI so far in his eight games this month. That's huge, man. That's what you need out of him. If he has to give up a little bit on the average to give you a little extra power in that middle of the order, fifth, sixth, wherever he is on any given day, sign up for that any day of the week. That's what he was doing earlier in the season. And then he kind of went through that slump from June to August offensively. If he can get back to being that player that he was in April and then into early May, that's going to go a long way in helping this team offensively get back on track. Well, the other reason why you know that at least that's the one that shouldn't be as upsetting to people as like Arnado and Goldschmidt. And now we know with Edmundo Sosa in the wrist, Yachty hasn't gone to Instagram. So Yachty's not that frustrated with not being in the lineup because he usually does that when he's frustrated. But you're right. I, I mean, think about it. At the beginning of the season, we all said, oh, my gosh, Yachty doesn't even know what age looks like right now because he just goes out there and destroys the baseball. You hit the lull, probably the exhaustion and getting beat up by foul balls off the kneecaps. But then he gets some rest. You find ways to plug and play with Andrew Kisner, which, by the way, BK, they don't have their third catcher anymore. Oh, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? They brought back Justin Miller. They sent down Ollie Sanchez. I don't know how they're going to be able to play the rest of the year. I don't know how you, how you do it. Juan Yepes should be on this team. He should. I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense Can to Juan me, but Yepes that's neither here nor there. Play catcher? He can't, but he can hit the ball, and they could use some guys that could hit the ball. All right, so here's where we stand today. The Cardinals are a game back in the wild card standings, and the way that the uh, schedule sets up this week for the wild card contenders, there are five of them. It's the Padres, Reds, Cardinals, and then behind the Cardinals right now are the Phillies and the Mets. The Padres have four games against San Francisco in San Fran this week, and then they come to St. Louis for a three-game set. Huge week for the San Diego Padres. The Reds have three games at Pittsburgh and then finish up this weekend with three games against the Dodgers at home. The Cardinals, as we've mentioned, have three games coming up in New York, and then they come home for San Diego, three games there. The Phillies have three games against Chicago at home and then travel to New York for three games against the Mets. And the Mets have the three-game set that we talked about against both the Cardinals and the Phillies. There's a lot of round-robin taking place right now amongst these wild-card contenders. We've said this, I think, almost every week so far this season, Alex. This is the defining week of the Cardinal season. Yep. These six games, you got to win at least four of them because of who you're going up against. And this this is ultimately going to determine whether or not going into the last week or two of the season, you've got a chance to be able to win that final wild card spot. With Alex Ferrario and Andrew Marsh, I'm Brandon Kylie Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, David Schoenfeld of ESPN.com is going to join the show to give us his national perspective on this National League wildcard race. But coming up next, let's do a college football whip around real quick. Everything that I told you was going to happen on Saturday, the opposite took place, and we'll talk about it next. Win the series both times is um, was important. I wouldn't say it was, you know, absolute. 
This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. And I'm Brandon Kylie. What a weird college football weekend it was. And it's going to be a weird college football season. Let's get a college football whip around nationally. We talked Illinois and Mizzou earlier today. Let's start with this, Alex. Are you officially in on the idea that this is going to be a wide open college football season? Because over the weekend, we saw number three Ohio State go down against Oregon. That was a rough one. Iowa State has started out the season pretty rocky. They lost this one at home, as I expected them to, against Iowa. Somebody was trying to tell you that was going to happen. It was this guy. My USC Trojans got their butts whipped against Stanford in the number 15 Texas. Also lost against Arkansas. A big weekend for upsets once again. Second straight week that that has been the case. You think this is going to be pretty wide open this year, Alex? Yeah, especially because the, th- the the team that I said I think could compete for a championship game is the Ohio State Buckeyes, who got kind of embarrassed by the uh, the uh, by Oregon, and that was the one for me where it's like, okay, I'm not bought in on the fact that there are three or four teams that should be favorites to be in this competition. It's Alabama, Georgia, and then everyone else. Like, what the hell, Texas? Like, I went with the favorite on that when we did our pick last week because I'm thinking, okay, Texas put up like 50 points in week one, and I'm sitting here going, yeah, they'll be good against Arkansas because Arkansas is no good. They sit their quarterback in the second half. They benched him. Like, what is going on here? I loved Louisiana in week one against Texas. I loved Texas against Arkansas in week two. What we're learning here, Alex, is just go against my picks in every possible capacity. Whatever I pick on Thursday or Friday when we do them, depending on who's out and when, um, go ahead and take the opposite. I do really like Iowa. Iowa's very good. I really like what Iowa's putting together. Iowa might have leapfrogged over Ohio State in my book for next week. So here's where we're at right now. You've got number one, Alabama, number two, Georgia. Oklahoma beat the hell out of Western Carolina, as should be expected in that one. Texas A&M was not impressive, and they lost their quarterback for the next month in their 10-7 victory against Colorado. And then Clemson took care of business against South Carolina State. That's your top six after this weekend. When you look forward here, and we're talking about the college football playoff early in the season and kind of what the picture could hold, we've seen Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma combined for 20 of the 28 college football playoff spots so far since 2014 when it was first initiated. How many of those four do you think get in this year? Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. Alabama will get in, obviously. Totally agree. Um, despite them losing against Georgia and and part of me feeling like they're not going to get in, I still believe Clemson will be into the playoffs. I don't think Ohio State's going to get in. No chance. I I think this is going to be a setback for Ohio State. And and next year, I feel like they'll be better because C.J. Stroud will have a little bit more under his belt. They just look off right now. So with them being out, I don't know about Oklahoma either. So I'll say two of those three because Georgia's going to be in as well. I think Georgia's definitely in. I think Alabama's definitely in. That's 
the end of me saying anything with certainty on yeah. who's going to be into the college football playoff. I think Clemson will get in as well. Here's my one concern about that, Alex. If you're the college football playoff committee, you've already seen Georgia and Clemson play once this year. You're almost certainly going to see Georgia and Alabama play in the SEC championship game. Are you going to want three teams that have played one another already that year in your college football playoff, given the fact that we've seen them so often in previous years as well? And this is just looking at things kind of politically speaking, if you will. You've got a lot of Southeast represented in the college football playoff at that point as well. I, I don't know. I don't know that that's going to be what they want from the committee. So I'll say... For sure, Alabama gets in and Georgia gets in. Out of these other three teams, though, that have been the majority representatives in the college football playoff, I'm not definitely out on Ohio State. I do not think Oklahoma is going to be able to get in. I feel like Iowa's going to get in. And I'm kind of 50-50 on Clemson. I feel like Iowa's going to get in. They've got a real shot. I they, mean, they got a decent schedule in front of them to pr represent themselves. They beat back-to-back -back ranked opponents to start the season for the first time in 60 years. Wow. First time since 1960 that they accomplished that. If you look at what their schedule is moving forward, they've still got Penn State and Wisconsin on the schedule. That Penn State game is huge. Mm -hmm. Penn State's looked good so far this year, and they're now ranked in the top 10. You'd expect them to be able to compete moving forward. They've got a big game this weekend against Auburn as well. Which Auburn just... They won, I believe... Over the weekend, too. I forgot mm -hmm. who they were yeah. playing, but they I mean, have Alabama State. So it, they have not played anybody yet. We have no idea what to expect okay. out of Auburn Alabama moving Alabama forward. State. <laughs> what about Oregon? Is Oregon a playoff team? Because that's that's their second victory because mm -hmm. the first week was a ranked opponent. It was too. rough. It was against Fresno yeah. State. They didn't or no. Or USC was yeah. against. Yeah, they, I I'm curious on Oregon. Oregon's defense is what gets me. I'm curious on them. I don't know what to make of them because they struggled in week one, and that's that threw me off of the scent. Yeah, they were the, one, the ones that played Fresno State. I got them in uh, USC mixed yeah. round. I don't know what to make of them because that's a huge win against Ohio State, but was that because Ohio State is down or Oregon is going to be a legit college well, football player? You think Ohio State would be up after week one where they struggled to get a victory to where yeah. you feel like they'd be a little bit more confident. And that's why I'm not sure. I, yeah. I wonder if Ohio State's just going to be a little down this year. Yeah. And if they are, now we're talking about maybe overestimating what that Oregon win actually meant for Oregon down the stretch. Yeah. Well, Oregon also was missing Kayvon Thibodeau mm -hmm. on their defense. so Which is a big loss. Yeah, well, he's like one of the best college players in the entire nation. Yeah, and he's going to be got a potential first-round pick. Yeah, first exactly. It's going to be an interesting season from a million different for a million different reasons. Um, but last th this past weekend, I think opened my eyes once again to just how much turmoil we're going to see in the next three, four, five weeks as we try to figure out who's who in college football. By the way, it's another big weekend once again. College football is just they've got haymakers every yeah. week right now, which is different than your normal season. A lot of the times we don't see these kinds of matchups this early in the year. Alabama plays Florida on Saturday and a matchup of two potential top 10 teams in the standings or in the rankings right now. You've got Auburn Penn State, like I mentioned just a little bit ago. You've got Arizona State against BYU, both of whom are in the top 25 right now. A few pretty big matchups early on in the season as we're trying to figure out who's who. The team that you learned the most about this weekend as the final takeaway here, Alex, was who? I think it's Iowa. I really think Iowa, after watching what they did in week one and then putting on a clinic in week two against another ranked opponent, 
Iowa, to me, is a team that is going to make some type of noise this season in terms of a championship game. Mine was Texas A&M. Texas A&M was a top five ranked team going into the week. They will not be a top five uh, ranked team leaving the week. They're a solid team. I'm putting them on upset watch, though, two weeks from now against Arkansas. Without their quarterback and having an offense that has definitely struggled so far this season, I'm going to be interested to see what they look like against an Arkansas team that impressed the hell out of me in their game against Texas. I learned my lesson. Don't bet against Arkansas because they will just make you cry in your cereal. And my lesson was don't don't bet against Iowa. Well, you had three lessons, actually. Oh, I had about 27 big, of them. There was a big picture lesson that you had over the weekend. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Questions and answers coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, we're going to talk to our guy, David Schoenfeld of ESPN. What does he see? What's he projecting in this National League wildcard race? There's five teams battling for one spot. Where's he put the Cardinals in those rankings? David Schoenfeld will tell us coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Big weekend for the Cardinals as they take two out of three against the Cincinnati Reds. They continue their big stretch tonight against the New York Mets and then into the weekend with three games head-to-head against the San Diego Padres. The wildcard race is officially heating it up, heating up, and we are going out to the Brownie and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by David Schoenfeld, ESPN's MLB writer, joining the show to talk th- about this from a national perspective. David, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? I'm good. How are you guys? I think a little better, I'm guessing, than probably the last time I talked to you guys out there. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're doing better. I I can't say we're great, David. The Cardinals <laughs> are 5-5 five and five in their last 10 games, and in a lot of ways, that would typically feel like, okay, you're in, down the stretch run, you're in the wild card race, you're probably out of it if you're going 500, but these other teams that are in the race with them have been even worse. What have you made of... I don't even know if you want to call it a race, but uh, the quest to get this final wild card spot in the National League. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I'm looking at the standings here of these contenders. Yeah, last 10 games, Padres 4 and 6, Reds 4 and 6, Cardinals 5 and 5, Phillies 3 and 7, Mets 5 and 5. So yeah, this is not exactly a, you know, secretariat racing man of war here, is huh. it? Um Yeah, I don't know. Who wants it? I I guess maybe this just leaves open for my ultimate dream scenario, which is like a five-way tie, and we'll figure out how baseball would uh, resolve that. (laughs) That might blow uh, Rob Manfred's head out of proportion if that happens. I don't know how he would handle something like that. You know, David, for me, it's so interesting with this National League and the race because you got two teams that have – in all reality, MVP candidates and Bryce Harper and Tatis Jr. I mean, you have the New York Mets when they made the move of Javier Baez and Francisco Lindor. Everyone's thinking that offense is a powerhouse. And then you got the Cardinals, which a lot of people picked them in the NL Central this year. I mean, what do you think has happened in terms of falling off the cliff for these National League teams? Yeah, well, I think what you have is, you know, a league that other than the Pirates and, you know, the Cubs post-trade deadline, it's a pretty strong league so what's that going to lead to a lot of teams kind of right around 500 um this is what happened sometimes we had a wild card race a few years a few years ago in the al where seven or eight teams were alive with about two weeks to go but they were all muddled around 500 so this is what happens it's mediocrity some fans love it some fans hate it 
Um, it certainly, I guess, it makes it interesting. It gives us a lot of stories and a lot of teams and players to talk about. So I'll take it. It's not, it's not my <laughs> favorite, but I'll take it. At least, you know, look, we don't have a lot of division races, so I guess we got to focus on the wild cards. David Schoenfeld of ESPN is our guest here on 101 ESPN. David, who do you like in this race? I mean, if you, you're, you're, <laughs> you've got the national perspective on this. We are so close to the Cardinals that sometimes we can lose sight of what these other teams have. But from your perspective, who do you like in this race as it's, I mean, it's basically a dead even heat. Yeah, I'll say who I don't like. Okay. Number one is the Padres, who, did they just get swept? Yeah, the Dodgers swept them over mm-hmm. the weekend. They have a bunch of games left against the Giants, who just keep on hitting and scoring runs. So, plus they have some pitching issues. So, the Padres, even though on paper they might have the most talented and the best team, they just aren't at that level right now. So, even though they're tied with the Reds, I guess, in the standings. I'm throwing them out. I watch a lot of Mets out here in Connecticut. I I don't know (laughs) how they're going to do it, but then again, they win a game like last night where Lindor hits three home runs. Maybe that finally gets them going, gives them some momentum, but they got to jump over four teams, so that's a lot to ask. So, and the Phillies are kind of similar. You just, I just don't see it. Once you get past Harper and Zach Wheeler, there's not a whole lot on that team that makes you think they're a playoff team. So it looks like to me, I'm going Reds versus Cardinals. I think they're done, right, playing each other. Yeah. yeah. So I'm rambling on here. You look at the schedules could play a part. I've been saying all along, this Cardinals team maybe reminds me of 2011, right, where they kind of just stumbled through the season and then got hot in September. Not that this team's gotten hot, but maybe it's one of those years where the Cardinals uh, find a way to squeak in. David, I mean, you say that, and then people here in St. Louis, their ears perk up because you mentioned 2011. World Series championship. (laughs) Are are you saying that they've got a chance to get in like they did in 2011, or you think they've got a shot to actually do something meaningful in the playoffs when they get in? I think they have a shot to get in. The big difference that year, right, there was no wild card game, right? Four teams, so you, you play a playoff series, best of five. Yeah, realistically, could the Cardinals play the Dodgers and beat them in a while? Sure, one game, anything can happen. And then you play, what, the Giants? You know, that's a lot to ask because the Giants, Dodgers, and I think even the Braves um, are, are three really good teams. So that would be a lot to ask. But I think they could win a wild card. David, big picture when you're looking at this Cardinals for the rest of this season, and look, there are still plenty of games to play and getting into the playoffs is a reality for Cardinals fans, but what they are looking at is what next season is going to offer for this team. And when you look at this team, big picture, how far away are you roster-wise? Do you feel like this team could compete for a World Series? That's a good question. I mean, I think they're (laughs) – I think they're a long ways away. I mean, look, Adam Wainwright, are you going to expect him to go 15-7 and seven with a sub-3 RA Absolutely. You know, next year? No <laughs> way. So, you know, I assume he comes back, you know, and pitches again. But, you know, you're going to have to figure out how you're going to, you know, replace hit, not replace him, but fill those numbers, right, you know, from, from the rest of the rotation. Um, the lineup, it's okay, right? But – Goldschmidt, Arenado, these guys are more former superstars, I would argue, than current superstars. They're still really good players. But they really need a big offensive star in that lineup. And I don't know if that's Dylan Carlson or somebody else, you know, via free agency or trade. But they, they need a big bat. 
and an, an, another starting pitcher for sure. Well, the big bats that we've been talking about all year long are the shortstops that are potentially available on the market right. this offseason, David. And I saw that John Heyman over the weekend said he pulled 25 MLB executives as to which of the shortstops on the free agent market this winter will get the biggest deal. 11 of them said Carlos Correa. Eight of them said Corey Seager. Two of them said some combination of a tie between Correa and Seager. Only one of them said Trevor Story. Do you agree with that assessment? Like, if, if you had to project out to this offseason, how do you think those guys will rank in terms of the contracts that they get? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think Correa is the, the number one guy. Um, he does have a little bit of an injury history, um, so there is some concern there. I think Trevor Story could end up being a bargain. I know he hasn't had the year that he's had the past couple, but he's still, you know, and in his prime, he's athletic, plays defense, has power. I like him a lot. And the guy we don't talk about who's playing second base this year for Toronto is Marcus Simeon, who's having the best year of all those guys, might finish, you know, third in the MVP voting in the AL um, he could go back to shortstop. I mean, he has 39 home runs, 30-something doubles. Um, whether you want him at shortstop or second, he'd be uh, fit at either of those spots, I think, for St. Louis. So I know you said Carlos Correa is going to be the big fish in the free agency. Would you be willing, David, to commit a long-term contract to a guy like Corey Seager? Because I think Cardinals fans are looking at that name, but of course, much like Carlos Correa, has an injury history. Would you be willing to commit a lot of money and years to a player like Corey Seager with the injury? You know, the problem there is I don't know how many more years he's going to stick at shortstop. He's a big guy. He has those injuries. I think his range right now, I would say, is average at best, you know, but that could start declining pretty rapidly. And you guys have a pretty good third baseman, right? So, you know, I don't know if Seager is the best fit for St. Louis. That's why I think I would go Correa, Story, and Simeon uh, above um, Seager for, for the Cardinals. We're talking to David Schoenfeld for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. David, you mentioned Adam Wainwright in the season that he's had. He's on the mound for the Cardinals tonight once again. He's been unbelievable in his last 10 starts. The Cardinals in those 10 are 9-1 overall as a team. Do you think he's going to get some votes this year? Not to win the Cy Young. I know he's not in that conversation, but do you think he'll get consideration as a top 5-10 to 10 guy this year? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Cy Young race, probably now Max Scherzer has, may now be in the lead. Uh, Corbin Burns, Walker Buehler's probably a pretty clear one, two, three in sure. some order. But then after that, yeah, Wainwright, Zach Wheeler. I mean, the one thing I like about Wainwright and Wheeler is they're both going to get past 200 innings. You know, they might be the only ones in the league this year. I think Bueller might do it as well. But, you know, that that's a lot of innings in this day and age. And I think you got to give a little extra credit, you know, for, for those workhorses. So, yeah, I think he'll get some fourth and fifth place votes. David, we talked a lot about the National League wildcard race with you. You have a focus nationally. Other than that, what's the number one thing you're watching the rest of the year? Is there anything in particular that you're going to be keeping an eye on? I mean, I hate to go to the old East Coast bias here, but uh, I am out here, so I do watch a lot of Yankees as well. Um, suddenly, they're out of that wild card race. Mm -hmm. Toronto and Boston are tied. The Yankees are a game behind. You know, remember, this is a team that was a pretty big consensus overall favorite to come out of the AL. So, 
Um, they had that 13-game winning streak, and it looked like they were back on track, but they've really stumbled the last, you know, two-plus weeks, two and eight in their past ten. So if they don't make the playoffs, that opens the door. What do the Yankees do? you got to think Aaron Boone's job might be on the line, not that it's his fault. Do they have a big makeover with that roster? You know, how will a new CBA affect their payroll? You know, will they spend more next year? So the Yankees making or missing the playoffs will have a huge ripple effect to what they do in the offseason. He's David Schoenfeld, one of the best in the business. You can find his work over at ESPN.com. You can follow him on Twitter at D Schoenfeld. David, we always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping out with us and helping us try to make sense of this NL wildcard race, man. (laughs) Yep. All right. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Dave. Absolutely. David Schoenfeld on 101 ESPN. As we were talking a little bit about that NL uh, Cy Young conversation, I was curious, you know, where where Wayno ranked in some of these statistics right now, and it popped out at me. You know who's fourth right now in the National League in innings pitched? He's got a Cardinals connection. Lance Lynn? Oh, no, he's not in the National League. Sandy Alcantara. Oh, yeah. Did you, his last game, he had like 14 strikeouts or something for the Marlins. That's the one that hurts. Yeah, that, and I agreed with the decision to trade for uh, Marcelo Zuna at the time. Yeah, still hurts. It made all the sense in the world. You needed the big bat. He was the one that was available. Stanton said no. They didn't allow Christian Yelich to be traded yet at the time. It made sense for the Cardinals to go all in on Marcelo Zuna as their big bat for the middle of the order. It didn't work. It didn't work. But, man, it hurts that you don't have that guy in the middle of your rotation right now. If they had Sandy Alcantara to pair next year with Adam Wainwright and Jack Flaherty, Dakota Hudson, Miles Michaelis, oh, now we're talking about a rotation. And some of those guys that are the tertiary pieces, they could become trade ships. Oh, man. Could have, would have, should have, BK. That's the one that hurts. But you got Marcelo Zuna. Yeah. You went to the NLCS as a result in 2019. I consider that a win because his offense was the reason the Cardinals didn't score a run in that NLCS. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Andrew Marsh, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, I mentioned the free agent market for the shortstops and John Heyman's poll. If Trevor Story is the cheapest one, is he the most likely candidate for the Cardinals? We'll talk about that coming up at the top of the hour. But coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's start out with this one from the 314. Hey, guys, if the Cardinals were to get the second wild card spot, would you pick them to win that wild card game, assuming that Adam Wainwright is on the mound? I wouldn't. And I'm, I'm going to the under the assumption that it's the Dodgers there and not the Giants. I think actually they would fare a little bit better against the Giants than the Dodgers. We've seen that this year. And, and I know people are going to text in for Ferrari. They just split the series against the Dodgers. Three of those four games were bullpen games. You're, if Ima- you're, imagine Max Scherzer on the mound. You're facing Max Scherzer. Of... Well, you played Max Scherzer on the mound, and I think you got one or two hits off of him. It didn't go well. No. And, and even if it's it it not a wolf for anybody. Yeah. I mean, even if it isn't Max Scherzer, and let's say they're going to save Max Scherzer for game one of the NLDS, you're still either facing Clayton Kershaw, you're going to be going Walker up Bueller. against Walker Bueller, and then you've got that bullpen, which is so locked in when they come into those specific roles. So as much 
as I would love to go with the history and say, well, the Cardinals always beat the Dodgers. Nah, I don't think I could give that to him in a one game. Yeah, I feel a hell of a lot better about Kevin Gossman on the mound against the Cardinals yeah. than I do Max Scherzer or Walker Bueller, yeah. both of whom are in the top three in the National League Cy Young conversation. So right. if the Giants were the team that you matched up with, and we've seen that four out of six, the Cardinals won in that season series right around the uh, the the all-star break, I'd give them a shot. Yeah. I would pick the Giants because they've been better all season long. So they've given us every reason to believe that in a one-game sample, they're the team you should pick. But the Cardinals would absolutely have a chance, especially with Wayno on the mound. I would pick the the Giants or the Dodgers, whoever their opponent is, though. That would be my pick. Yeah. I like the Cardinals in a, in a one-game playoff with Adam Wainwright on the mound just because once you get there, anything can happen. That's the thing. And with Wayno. The thing is, I think he would give you a really solid start. Now, if they're playing the Dodgers, I just don't see them winning, but it would turn some heads and you would be like, oh, wow, like we were in this. But at the end of the day, they just couldn't get it done because they're not the better team. It's simple as that. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line from the 314. What are the odds that you think the Cardinals would decide not to pursue any of the free agent shortstops and instead gave serious consideration to giving Edmundo Sosa the everyday job at shortstop. It's the odds? Yeah, what do, you, do you think that it's possible the Cardinals decide not to pursue one of the free agent shortstops and give the everyday job to Edmundo Sosa? I, I, think, it's, I think it's 60-40 in favor of them sticking with Sosa. Interesting. Uh, I think that they're going to give the whole spiel of, well, we pursued them and they we you know we maxed out of the budget there and this guy went to this team and this guy went to that team. I think there will be excuses that go into it and then they'll look at it and say, well, look, we have Edmundo Sosa. We're going to try and upgrade elsewhere to see if we can help our team. So I, I would lean in favor of them sticking with Edmundo Sosa, mostly because I feel like the Cardinals will get outbid on every one of these players. I, it's an 80-20 for me. Knowing everything we know about this team in the last five, six years, they 100%, or I guess 80%, 80% would stick with Sosa and DeYoung and just do exactly what they're doing now. Especially if they do make the playoffs, they'll come back with the, well, this works. Look how they did at the back half of the season, and they'll just stick with it. If they go that route that you guys are saying, I don't think it's possible. I, I wouldn't predict it, but I think it's possible they decide to go that route. They have to make significant upgrades elsewhere because at that point, you've got Harrison Bader, who, despite all of the trends that we saw early when he returned to the lineup, has basically been the same hitter that he has been in the rest of his career. He's an average hitter right now for the Cardinals is what he's been. You've got him at the bottom of your order. Sosa has been solid this year, but he's probably going to finish out being right around a league average hitter. You'll have Yachty at the bottom of your order next year. He's been a slightly below average league hit, uh, league level hitter so far this year. That's three guys at the bottom of your order that are not contributing in a meaningful way offensively. You got to make up for that elsewhere. So you got to go. Maybe it's Nick Castellanos. Maybe it's JD Martinez or they trade for Whitmer. Whoever the guy is that they could go out there and get whoever your favorite options are that are available. They got to get like two of them to be able to make up for the fact that they didn't make a huge upgrade at the shortstop position. In my problem mind. too is I don't know if there are significant upgrades on the free agent market other than a couple of guys where everyone's going for Nick Castellanos because mm -hmm. he's going to be in the MVP conversations. Everyone's going to be trying to trade for Whit Merrifield because he's a part of a team that's going to be moving on from him. 
the only realistic option for you is going for something where there's a lot of positions available and not every team is going to be going after those players but again just gets to the point where the Cardinals I feel are going to be like well Paul DeYoung was too in his own head this season so we'll give him a shot next year and Edmundo Sosa mm. flourished and we got this guy on the rise now we're not going to spend that money there 65780 is the air covered service tax line last question for you from the 618 guys with Ryan Fitzpatrick going on the injured reserve today with a hip injury and with the way that we saw the Eagles play yesterday who would you have as the favorite right now to win the NFC East Cowboys Cowboys are good in my opinion, and I should have put money down on this because I haven't yet, and I know they're going to change. I'd, I'd put money down on the odds of the Cowboys winning a Super Bowl or Dak winning an MVP this year because I know the odds are, like, ridiculous in favor of, or you know, against the Cowboys, but I, I just felt like that wasn't a fluke from what we saw against Tampa Bay on Thursday night football. I really feel like the Dallas Cowboys are a clear-cut favorite in the NFC West or East. You could get the Cowboys right now at 31 to 1. So you bet $10, you win 310 on the Cowboys to win the Super Bowl. Dak is an MVP is still pretty low too. Yeah. I like that one. I I, I especially like the uh like them to make the playoffs or the season awards. I like that. Yeah. Dak I think Prescott 15 to 1 right now as the MVP. Put That's 100 dollars down on that. Yeah. I know people like to make fun of the Cowboys. I'm big time in roller. Discretionary income, my God. <laughs> big time roller. Now my baby don't need diapers for a month. It's fine. I know a lot of people. They like to make fun of the Cowboys. I'm one of those people. But I thought they played really well the other day, and they have like a whole different vibe to their team. When Dak is in that lineup, everyone seems to be rejuvenated. I'm sure people are questioning how much volume that Zeke got the other day. But I don't see that continuing. I think he's going to be an instrumental part of that offense. And the Eagles, they played a terrible Falcons team. Does Washington go get Cam? Maybe. I think they can. They're going Heineke Heineke for now. They're going Heineke, but if Heineke has a bad week, do you? I mean, you got Ron Rivera. Go get Cam Newton. I could see it. Yeah, it it would make some sense. The Eagles are going to get a lot of hype coming out of this week. Jalen Hurts looked awesome yesterday, but to your point, Marshy. That was not a good Falcons team. No, that was an ugly Falcons team. That was a very disappointing performance by the Falcons offense as well. Does Kyle Pitts exist? I don't know what happened there. That was weird. He he didn't see a whole lot of run at all. It It was a strange thing. And the Eagles moving forward, the schedule gets way tougher here over the next few weeks. They've got the 49ers on uh, on Sunday. Then you go to the Cowboys for a primetime matchup on Monday night. Then you're playing against the Chiefs. Got a little bit of a reprieve going up against the Panthers, but that is on the road. And then you finish up this stretch against the Bucks at home. I think we're going to see maybe one more win over the next five weeks for the Eagles. And suddenly we're going to be talking about them the way that we all expected to. So I'm with you guys. I think the Cowboys are clearly the favorite in the NFC right now. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, a few more NFL rapid reactions, including the one overreaction from week one that you sincerely believe will take place over the rest of the year. We'll get into that coming up at 12:15. coming up next. John Heyman pulled 25 major league executives on which shortstop is going to get the biggest deal this offseason. I think the answer to that question may surprise you. We'll tell you who it is next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. That's Alex Ferrario. He is Andrew Marsh, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 
Dakota Hudson and Jack Flaherty are working their way back. Jack Flaherty is expected to throw off of a mound at some point this week. It'll be the first time that he has done so. Dakota Hudson just made his most recent rehab start for Springfield. He got 10 of his 15 outs on the ground. That is a very good sign for the type of pitcher that he is. Finished with five innings, 57 pitches, and it sounds like he's got one more start in him down at the AAA level before he returns to the big league club. So Dakota Hudson definitely going to pitch for the Cardinals at some point this year. It's great news. Great to hear. Jack Flaherty could also contribute at some point this season, according to the Cardinals. My anticipation of him actually doing so is much lower than that for Dakota Hudson, but it's possible. Earlier today, we were able to catch up with our Cardinals insider for the athletic Katie Wu. Here's what she had to say about the roles that we could see Jack Flaherty and Dakota Hudson fill whenever they do return to the big league club. I think so, yes. Um, I can't speak for Dakota as I haven't talked to him, but Jack is optimistic he'll return. They will probably not return as starters. They will probably be back in limited capacity roles if they do return just based on the calendar and based on the amount of time it takes to ramp back up. However, you know, and while this is a very fluid situation, it depends on a lot of things, having a little bit of Jack Flaherty back is better than having none of it, right? Mm -hmm. And if you have Dakota Hudson in as some relief innings and some high leverage roles, you know, there's a chance that Dakota could piggyback. Maybe Jack starts and goes a few innings and Dakota piggybacks off that. But if the Cardinals are going to push all their chips in for this wild card spot and both arms are healthy, I would expect both of them back by the end of the season. And again, probably not in starter roles, but in roles nonetheless. Alex, what kind of a role would you expect to see Hudson and Flaherty? Let's let's start with Hudson, and then you can add in Flaherty if you'd like to whenever they do return. I think you see Hudson as either a guy who starts and goes a couple of innings for you and kind of piggyback with him, or he's the second guy out or the first guy out of the pen to piggyback with somebody like a Jake Woodford, maybe maybe a Miles Michaelis if you can't get enough out of him. So I think with Dakota Hudson, it's a guy that he's not going to be the the Hudson that you expect him to be, but he is somebody who can come into a situation and give you two innings, maybe three innings for what he has done. I just don't see him being a legit starter for the team. I'm with you. I think Dakota Hudson's role relies entirely on what Jake Woodford looks like over his next one, maybe two starts. Agreed. If Woodford is good in his next couple of starts, then you put... J, uh, Dakota Hudson into that reliever role where he's going to be a two, maybe three inning reliever, and he's able to come in when you need a ground ball. This similar to what TJ McFarland would do in the later innings. Mm -hmm. That's the role that Dakota Hudson comes into as a little bit of a fireman in the middle innings. And then he's able to get you. Maybe it's maybe it's on Jake Woodford starts, honestly, a little bit of a piggyback situation here. Woodford gets you through four and a third. And he gets into a little bit of trouble. You've got runners on first and second. You need that double play ball one out right now. Hudson comes in, gets you that double play ball, and then he comes back in for the fifth and the sixth innings as well. He's able to get you eight outs in that scenario. And now you're back into the back end of your bullpen for the last three innings of that game. That's the kind of role I would like to see him fill. For Jack Flaherty, it's a little different. First of all, I'm still not convinced he's going to return this year. Maybe he does. I'd be super cautious with him, though. Given the way that this season has gone, this is not an all-in year for the Cardinals. They will see if they're even able to make the playoffs, much less make a run once they get there, if they do. If he returns, I think it's in a one-inning, limited capacity. Let's see what he's got. Keep him fresh. See, keep, keep him working on certain things in game situations. I think Jack Flaherty's usage is going to be very limited down the stretch, if any at all. Yeah, I, I'm really interested of what 
Flaherty looks like off of the mound because if they feel comfortable that he's not going to re-injure himself or that he can get through this season, I don't think I'm putting him in a starting role because of everything that he's gone through this season. But is it outlandish to think that Jack Flaherty could be your closer for you? I think they've pretty clearly turned that over to Gallegos at this point. As of now. But if you have Jack Flaherty and you know that Jacks can only give you one inning, is it better to use Jack Flaherty in the middle of a game, piggybacking off of somebody and only getting an inning out of him? Or would you rather use him in the ninth inning regardless? Like, let's say it's not a closing situation, but you know you're going to get Jack Flaherty in there. But if it is a closing situation, put him out there and have the best stuff available to you. Yeah. I don't know that I would want to immediately insert him into that spot. Yeah. Given the injuries that we've seen from him, I just, I think I would rather see him in the middle innings to start things off. I, I'm pretty okay right now with the back end of my bullpen being Cabrera, Gallegos, Garcia, McFarland, and Reyes. I think those five can handle innings six through nine on a regular basis. Maybe there is a game where you go Cabrera, Gallegos, and Reyes one day, and then the next day you have to go back to two of those three, and then the following day you only have one of them available to go along with Garcia and McFarland, and that's where maybe you do get Jack Flaherty for the seventh or eighth inning on that day. Yeah. But as the closing option, I think I would rather right now have Gallegos, Cabrera, or Garcia over Jack Flaherty when he's just now returning from the injured list, and we've seen how, how difficult of a season it's been for him. I just want him to be be more confident. Go out there, be in situations where you know he's going to succeed, and he's got the best stuff. We know that. But I, I think I'm okay with him being in the sixth or seventh inning the majority of you the time. You just need to make sure you're not going to hurt anything for next season because you Correct. need to make sure that he's 100%. And whatever role you use him in, like don't use it just so you can get into a wild card spot and lose in the wild card game and say, oh, well, we got here, but then Jack Flaherty's damaged for next 100%. year. Use him in whatever role capacity you feel like, but make sure that he is going to be 100% healthy for next season. That's all I care about. So here's another question for you. John Lester was good over the weekend, and I saw over the weekend St. Louis Post-Dispatch, I think it was Ben Fredrickson, wrote a column about the idea of bringing John Lester back next year. I said that to you, and you did this to me. No. Are you interested in that? Look, if I'm interested in bringing Jay Hat back or Wade LeBlanc back, yeah, I'd give consideration to John Lester. Do I slot him into my rotation? Absolutely not. Do I make it an internal competition? Definitely, because he's done really well with this team behind him. Maybe he's found a new life with this team. Maybe Mike Maddox and the defense behind him have found something special with John Lester. Is he be going to is he going to be the Chicago Cubs national champion starting pitcher? No, never again. But what I would do if I'm the Cardinals is rather than try and go after a top pitching or top pitcher on free agency and spend a lot of money that you could be dedicating to your offense, bring back three or four of these guys and make it internal competitions and tell them, look, if you don't make the rotation, you'll be a part of our team still. I'd be fine with him on a minor league deal where it's not a guaranteed contract. He can come in, as you're saying, into camp and compete for a spot. And if he doesn't make the Cardinals rotation, he can opt out of that deal and try to go find a spot elsewhere. That's the kind like Wade LeBlanc had that kind of a deal this year. Or do it a tryout at spring training for him. That's basically what I'm saying. Yeah. Where he, he comes in, it's a minor league contract. If he makes the team on on opening day, the contract's guarantees gotcha. and he makes five million dollars that year. If he doesn't, though, if he doesn't end up making the rotation, he has an opt-out clause where he can say, Hey, I, I appreciate the opportunity. The Orioles have a spot in their rotation that I'm gonna go take. And you proved and, yourself. Yeah, and I'm gonna go take that opportunity elsewhere. 
I'd be fine with that. I would not be okay with them bringing him back as a guaranteed starter. No, that, that's that is one thing, and I I just don't know that that's going to be a spot that he's interested in taking. I think Lester has a ton of pride. I know Lester has a ton of pride. I don't know that he's going to be the type of guy that ends up hanging on at the back end of his career. I'm not sure he's going to pitch next year. Might not. And certainly I, not if he's not a guaranteed. He spot. talked about getting to 200 wins, right? Wasn't that a benchmark that he wanted to accomplish, and he was close to it this season? So of course it's something he's chasing. Maybe he, he comes back. More. Maybe he comes back if he doesn't get to it this year. But yeah, I mean, I'm with you. There's no way, shape, or form that I look at John Lester and say, "Yep, you're a part of our team next year." But if I'm going to bring back Jay Happ or Wade LeBlanc and tell him, "Like, hey, you got a shot at winning this rotation," I'm going to do the same with John Lester. And if he impresses, then you deserve that fifth spot. Final point here. This is a good one from the text line at five seven three six five seven eight zero. The Air Comfort Service text line. Guys, where's KK been? Is he hurt again? I noticed that he hasn't been used in a while. Well, KK's not too happy. He's available. He's not hurt. He's not on the injured list. He has not thrown in a game since September 7th. He has thrown all of three innings in the month of September so far. He was upset about the fact that he was moved into the bullpen, and he basically hasn't appeared in a game since. So I don't know what to make of that, but it is certainly something worth monitoring moving forward because we are now six days since the last time that we saw KK and enter a game. Would you be surprised if they activated Dakota Hudson or Jack Flaherty and they DFA'd KK? I'd be surprised by it because they've got some other options potentially that they could DFA first, like Ponce de Leon, for example, I think would be one of the first ones to go before him. But but if he's not happy and the Cardinals aren't IL using him, yeah, maybe he goes onto the onto the injured list with there's there's probably something they could find that's that's bothering him this right now. This texter six three six says KK's butt hurts. Is that true? Coming up in about fifteen minutes or so. If the Cardinals are going to make the playoffs, they're doing so based on the fact that Nolan Arenado is playing like a superstar again. We'll get into that oh, coming up at the top of the hour. Hurt, BK. Coming up next, the junk drawer here on one hundred and one ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Time to dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN with Alex Ferrario and Andrew Marsh. I'm Brandon Kylie. Marshy, you told us before the show that you had a really good story to be able to tell during the junk drawer. What do you got for us, man? All right. So I know a lot of people, they have pets and they have dogs and usually they walk their dog. And I'm hoping that they pick up after their dog. Well, I... The other day, this I don't. I, I kick it into the neighbor's yard. Yeah, no. that, that's why your shoes smell of so bad. Of course not. No, that's just because I never wash them. <laughs> well, anyways, last week I walk out of my apartment, and there is a walkway, and I live on the third floor. There's a walkway, and I look to my left, and there's dog. You know what? Just right there in the walkway, not even like in the grass outside, just in the walkway. Long night, man. And it was you just sure there. It was dogs. I hope it was dog. Long night, man. Hey, man, I was at a wedding in Kansas City this weekend. And you pooped in front in front of somebody's door? No, we went to a hotel <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. I mean, this is like 45 minutes outside of the city, south of the city in rural Kansas. And I didn't end up staying. I stayed at my mom's place in KC, but my fiance's family stayed at this hotel in this rural area. BK said, nah, I'm going to stay in my own bed. We're good. Yeah. Um... <laughs> 
there, with there, mom. there was poop in front of this hotel. Very much appeared to be human. I couldn't say if it was or no wasn't. I can neither confirm nor deny. Marcia, do you have a villain? Like, do you have somebody that doesn't like you that are tra- that's kind of out for you? No, the thing is, it was, it wasn't in front of my door. We, I'm not talking like Billy Madison where he called the poop. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it was in the middle. So like, someone's the culprit. There's four apartment, you know, apartments up on the third floor, and it was right in the middle. So it could, and I think two people have dogs. So it could have been anybody, but I have a feeling who it was. I'm not going to say, but it was, uh, it was quite disgusting. And I think the remnants is still there. And I, I you didn't pick it up. Heck no, no, You're no, gonna no, no, pick no, no, up no. somebody's random poop. Yeah. I mean, eventually me? somebody's got to, no. it's in front of your door. I tiptoed that thing. Like I don't need to like have that sitting in front of my door. Yeah, I mean, it's going to pick it up. Uh, clearly, no, here's the thing. I clearly, can, whoever the owner is is what? not going to be out there picking it up. Well, it was I, picked up by Marshy's shoe. I, I did not. <laughs> he said he tiptoed around it. I did tiptoe around. The thing is, is like, I hate being that guy. I hate being the guy that has to call the apartment complex. You write a very strongly worded note and put it on the two doors that have I dogs. I, but here's the thing. I made my girlfriend do it, so she did it, and I sent the picture. Oh, you actually did this. Oh no! Yeah. Well, I'm not gonna. Uh, you just. You can't get away with having your dog poop in the middle of the walkway. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. What's what's the protocol here? It, this is the first time it's happened? No, it is the first time it's happened. And I literally left for, for I don't know, maybe an hour or so. Came, came home. It was gone. Okay, so somebody probably Someone, ran out of... Oh, so you just ran into it at the wrong time. Yeah, they, they ran out of bags. Marshy. They were walking. They were going on their way home. And uh, Marshy, you're ready for us to just... Let a little dookie out. And yeah, they, they picked it up after after the call was, was made. Huh. How long are we talking? Like an hour, three hours, it, seven no, hours? it was a short... Actually, it might not have been an hour. It might have been a quick... A Marshy. quick trip to the gas Marshy. station. Marshy. Marshy. I don't know. They ran they, out of Ziploc bags and they yeah. said, I got to go get one real quick. They the ran Ziploc and got bags. it and they come back uh, out. The Ziploc bag method where you put your hand in the bag, you pick it up, and then you reverse it. You've never done you that? You know, they make dog poop bags, right? Well, are, obviously, they were out of dog poop I bags. You know, <laughs> I'm just surprised you're out here no, using Ziploc bags. No, well, look, <laughs> when I walk my little diva four-pound shorky, I got a little pink bone attached to the leash that have those bags in it. Here's, here's the thing. There's still remnants of it still. Like, if, if my dog did that you you know i feel so bad that i would power wash the apartment complex because i felt so bad but no it's still there like i look at it and it's got the color did you see this text? oh yeah six five seven eight oh zero comfort service x line from the three one four <laughs> this show is the absolute worst to listen to while you're on your lunch break seriously we do pick the worst time for the junk drawer junk drawer probably should be like at 1 30 when lunch is settled i apologize i like this one from the 618 smear it on the door well, you don't know whose it is. That's the yeah, problem. Smear it on That's both the of thing. them. It's a mystery. Smear it on both of them. And it could have been it? anybody. Like it, it very well may have been one of the people that lives next to you, or it could have been anybody that's just walking through the neighborhood. Protocol yeah. is to stake out the area and catch them in the act, then unleash hell. Yeah. That's, but you said it's the first time that it's happened. If this first was time, a recurring theme, if it was a recurring thing, we would have a problem. But well, yeah, it was a then first you've got time a serial offense. pooper in front of your. Your door. <laughs> you don't need that in your life. And if you get a serial pooper in your apartment complex, you need to move. It Here's might be Alex. I don't blame it the, might be hey, Alex. I don't blame the dog. Notorious for it. I don't blame the dog whatsoever. You can't blame dogs for that. Hey, They're going to go. go you got to go. You got to go. You got to go. But Been as there. an owner, 
You I've been there too, actually. Side of the road, been there, man. Got to keep your, uh, you know, got to keep the church. Yeah. What? Yeah. I mean, when you got to go, you got to go behind the power plant. Yep, behind a church. In your pants? No, God, no. Nope. I don't do that. Done it. Don't do that. <laughs> Let it all now, out. Now you're actually cleaning up the poop pants. Alex, what do you have for That's us today, my man? <laughs> Boys, uh, how much of you eat at McDonald's? What do you mean? Like, how much do you eat at McDonald's? Oh, maybe. Have you been a McDonald's person for life? Like, you go there yes. when you were a kid? Sure. Yep. Yeah. You've seen the commercials. You know Ronald McDonald. You know the hamburger. I mean, what's my, what's my current state? Are we talking it's like 1 a.m., been out for the night? No, or I just mean, like, like, have you been a lifelong McDonald's person? Right? Yes. Like, you're always, like, you went when you were a kid, right? You went for the Happy yeah. Meals. You saw the commercials. We all know Ronald McDonald's a clown. You know the Hamburglar's a hamburger burglar. Mm-hmm. Does anybody know That's what Grimace the, is? He's the purple uh, N- McNugget. I don't think I could have told you that. Do you, you you know you know it's a purple thing though, okay. right? Yeah. This has been the biggest mystery for a long time. Well, apparently that mystery is solved. It is not a purple McNugget. It is not a McNugget that has sat out for two years and it's just gone bad. Well, nope. it wouldn't go bad. It's from McDonald's. That's true. <laughs> have you ever found anything that's from McDonald's? It's Guys, in your car about three years later. It's this, the exact same as when it started. Why would it be in your car three years later? <laughs> because you it, like Clean got your into damn a car out, man. I understand, but if you find a French fry that like falls through the crevice, <laughs> you ain't getting so that. Three thing. years later, uh, it's gonna look the exact same. Guys, this is blowing the mind of everyone on Twitter because Grimace officially has been announced as a taste bud. Uh, that's that is what like he is that. considered. He is considered a taste bud. Is that like a double entendre? I don't... What the hell does that mean? It means like he could be a taste bud, but he's also like your buddy because he is a part of like Ronald McDonald and friends. I mean, maybe. I don't know. I never knew what it was. I just thought it was a purple triangle. An enormous taste bud. He's a taste bud. That's a little dis... Don't know what a taste bud technically looks like, but I Uh, don't imagine that your taste buds are purple. Somebody said that they thought it was a purple shake. That would have made more sense. No, the purple McNugget actually made a lot of sense that it just got bad. But yeah, you guys are right. Nothing goes bad for McDonald's. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. We'll play a game of in or out. But coming up next, if the Cardinals are going to make the playoffs, it's very simple. They need their best player to play like it, and he did over the weekend. Can he continue it? That's the question we'll talk about next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. The next two, Arenado. Oh, down into the corner. O'Neill is off of the pitch. He's racing to third. He'll score easily. Arenado on his way to second. Now to third. Misplayed out in left. And he's safe. Arenado hits it out to keep left. How about number 30? He it. 30 home runs. Nolan Arenado. And what a time to do it. Redbirds on top. Arenado with number 31. In the deep left. Off the Big Mac land. Back to back days with two run blasts. I think we were all joking about it the other day. You know, he's probably going to finish with 30 homers and 100 RBIs, and he hates it. Um, which I think is, I think is incredible. It, it just speaks to, you know, his, his standard of excellence. And, you know, it is something that, that is inspiring in a way. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. That last voice you heard there was Miles Michaelis talking about Nolan Arenado. Arenado came out to the media on Friday night after a rough game for him and said, listen, I I understand offensively we're, we're not really clicking right now as a team. And I would love to give you an answer as to why that is, but I can't really explain it when I can't explain why I myself 
am not contributing the way that I need to. And then over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, couple of homers, a triple, ends up being the reason that the Cardinals win two out of three in that series against the Reds. Two games they absolutely had to have. And Alex, down the stretch, this is pretty simple. If the Cardinals are going to make the playoffs this year, it's going to be because of their best players performing to their highest peak potential. You need Paul Goldschmidt to do what he did in July and August. You need Adam Wainwright to continue this recent trend where in his last 10 games, the Cardinals are 9-1. and one. That's got to continue moving forward. Nolan Arenado, he can't perform like he did in August when he had a 212 batting average. He's got to perform like he has so far in the month of September when he has an OPS over 900. If those guys are able to perform up to those expectations, you're going to see this team playing into October and they're going to be the wild card representative in that second spot playing against either the Diamond or the Diamondbacks, the Dodgers or the Giants. If they're not able to do that, though, that's how the Cardinals miss the playoffs. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it comes down to these guys, and frankly, if they miss the playoffs, you're going to go back and look at the slumps that they went through in this season or in this month or in that month. You know, but I also think that does say a lot about the supporting cast with these two star players, doesn't it? Like, if you were in this scenario and you looked at the Dodgers and the Dodgers were two games out of a wild card spot, you wouldn't look at it and say, well, they need this person to take them on the run. No, you look at it and you say, well, they got all the pieces in place to take themselves into that spot. But for the Cardinals, you look at it and you say, well, they need this person to step up because X, Y, and Z have been unable to all season long. And again, I'll go back to this. I said this a lot today. This is the reason you win and acquire Nolan Arenado, not because of what he does on the field, because yes, that helps, but you're getting a guy who can bring everyone else into the fight. What Miles Michaelis basically just said there, it energizes everybody else because of the mindset he has. You don't have a superstar going to the mic after a tough outing and say, oh, well, we just, you know, we're all struggling right now and it'll get better. You got a superstar going to the mic saying, look, I can't talk about other players because I myself have been horrible this season. So Mike Schultz, after the game, I think it was on Sunday, I think this was yesterday, was asked about the Cardinals feeling like they're in a horse race right now with the rest of these teams in the National League wildcard consideration. There's five of them that are all vying for one spot in the in the wild card. Here's what Mike Schultz had to say about it. Alex, I think you're going to enjoy this quote. Yeah, I mean, we, we've always feel we're in a horse race, you know, and around the stretch they come, and, you know, we got good closing speed. Can we hear that one more time? Yeah, I mean, we, we've always feel we're in a horse race, you know, and around the stretch they come, and, you know, we got good closing speed. I love that so much. Around the stretch they come, and we got good closing speed. She'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. Mike Schilt said the Cardinals are basically the secretariat of this NL wildcard race. I'm, I'm still so confused at what just took place right now, guys. Why? I just, that's weird. Okay, uh, so the Cardinals are into the stretch run here, and they're one game back of both the Padres and the Reds in the wild card race. Alex, this is the defining week of the season. I know we have said that a million times this season, but it remains true. You've got three games starting tonight against the Mets, and then this weekend you've got three games against the Padres. The Padres right now are tied with the Reds for that top spot. The Mets right now are two games behind you. If you win two out of three, you could essentially – put some distance between you and the Mets. If you sweep this series, you bury the Mets in this NL wildcard race. Then if you go into the weekend, you take two out of three against the Padres, you very well could end up taking their spot in the wildcard. If you take three out of three against the Padres, well, now you're really cooking with some gas, and suddenly we're talking about the Cardinals maybe running away with this thing a little bit. This is the defining week of the season because of who they're going up against. 
And you couldn't ask for a better guy to start it off with Adam Wainwright on the mound for the Cardinals, hopefully being able to continue doing what he's done for the second half of this season. Yeah, well, and this is the person you want on the mound. I mean, Wainwright's always the one needs the stopgap, but finally the Cardinals have put a little wins behind him so that he can try and extend this win streak. It does come down to this week, but look, even, and we talked with Katie Wu earlier today, and Katie said for, you know, I asked her, how, how do I get back on board? When do I need to buy back in? And she said, if they win four of six, if they go two of three against the Padres and the Mets, then she said, I would get back on board. But here's the thing. The Reds take on the Pirates an awful lot the rest of the season. And I understand the Reds have underperformed and you just beat them in a series, but you go with ease of schedule and the Cardinals can do everything that they want to do. They could win out. But if Cincinnati wins out because they have the favorable schedule, well, you're going to be left wanting more and you're going to always go back to those games you missed out on. They do, but that hasn't much mattered for the Reds. They're just not playing well right now. They lost two of three against Chicago, two of three against Detroit. They've lost four of their last six against the Cardinals, who, uh, let's be honest, are not a great team. They're an average one right now. And then they lost two of three as well against Miami. If you're going back into their last 18 games, they've lost 12 of them. The Padres, they've lost 11 of their last 17. All of these teams are are middling at best. They're, they all have serious flaws to them, and that's why the Cardinals are in this thing. I asked you this earlier today, and you talked about it with your question to Katie as well. What's it going to take for you to jump back on board? If the Cardinals take four of six, I'm all in on them down the stretch, even though they do have seven more games remaining against the Brewers. Even as of right now, I'm back on the bandwagon, man, because I this weekend was a lot of fun to watch. That was the first time in a while that it's really, truly felt like playoff baseball at Bush Stadium. The crowd was into it. Arenado and Yachty showed their emotion, their passion on the field, both of them after a home run. Now you're going to go up to New York. I don't know if you watched any of that game last night between the Yankees and the Mets. Yeah. Super intense setting for them. So we'll see if they have some sort of an emotional hangover from that series. But uh, the Mets are feeling that playoff stretch coming right now as well. Uh, Lindor's playing a little better. Baez has certainly heated up for them. This is going to be an awesome series to watch. Then you go against San Diego and a team that is really scuffling right now. When you get back home, if the Cardinals win two of three, Friday, Saturday, Sunday games, those things are going to be packed out at Bush Stadium against the Padres. And now we're really talking. So I'm in. I'm not all in because this team has given me no reason to, but they've done enough. I said I needed to see them have a winning record in that 13-game stretch that they just finished. They did. They went 7-6. and six, So I'm back on board. I'm a believer in this team to, to make things interesting down the stretch. And really, that's given the, given the circumstances – it's all I could really ask for from them this I'll season. tell you, for the first time in a long time, I'm really excited to watch this game tonight, which I, I can't say has been all season long. Like, a lot of the times I'm like, oh, yeah, the Cardinals are on. I'll check on what they're doing. Tonight I'm fully invested to the point where, yeah, I'm ready to watch from start to finish, which is an improvement from where this team has been. But uh, let me ask you this real quick, BK, because yeah. someone posed this question on the text line after Katie's comment of winning four of six. Let's say they win four of six, but they win a sweep against the Mets and you take one of three against the Padres. Are you still in? Yeah. I mean, I think that would be disappointing. But if you sweep the Mets, you're starting out the week on a really hot streak. And then maybe, I mean, it would probably depend. Do you lose like... 12 to 1 in game 1 and 10 to 2 in game 2 and then you win 2 to 1 against the Padres in game 3 that'd be a little disappointing yeah because then it's it's going back to what we've said where all you can do is really win those wayno starts and you're going to need other guys to be able to step up but yeah if you win 4 out of 6 it's a successful week 
regardless of how you get them. I'll tell you, if you get four from this one, and I know I've kind of been on the fence with this all day and I'm not really fully invested, if you're able to take four of six in this one, I will be fully invested in this team because, you know, nothing else will prove my prove my thoughts otherwise that the team can't get it done. With Alex Ferrario and Andrew Marsh, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in 15 minutes or so, we'll get into some NFL quick hitters, the remaining leftovers from the week that was in the NFL. It's 114, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. In or out? You give us a couple of scenarios, we'll tell you if we're in or out. College football, NFL, Cardinals related, all coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with BK and Ferrario. Ferrario, that's Andrew Marsh, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We'll get into in or out here in just a minute, but I wanted to mention something that I just noticed on the Cardinal stat page. Just kind of like a an interesting note on this Cardinal season. Did you know the Cardinals only have one pitcher not named Adam Wainwright that's thrown 100 innings this year? Yeah, because everyone's been injured. That's wild. You haven't had one consistent starting pitcher all year other than Wainwright. Carlos Martinez is still third on the Cardinals in innings pitched so far this year. Who's second then? It would be Kim. Kim. KK's thrown 100 innings almost exactly this year. That's actually He's impressive. Second. I didn't think he would have gotten to 100. That's crazy, dude. John Gant is fourth, and Jack Flaherty is fifth. What is our boy Ganty doing over in Minnesota? So his ERA has been pretty bad so far, but if you look at some of the underlying numbers, he's striking out a ton, and he's not walking as many. So it's almost the reverse of what happened here. The ERA is Are they using bad. him in a bullpen room? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, the ERA has been bad, but he's, he's hey, been pretty good when it comes to his walk to his last to walk two ratio. starts. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he start in the last four starts. He's given up ten runs. It's eh, it's not been great, hit John. Miss. It's been hitting. Not great, John. All right, time for in or out. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for in or out. In or out, the Packers will finish the season as a disappointment in the NFL. The Packers will let's let's amend this because that's subjective. The Packers will miss the playoffs this year. In I'll, or out. I'll say in on this. You think they missed the playoffs? Yeah. That's I do. a big statement. Who's making it out of the NFC North then? Because <laughs> you said you you think uh Mike Zimmer's getting fired. Mike Zimmer will you get You don't fired. like the Bears. The Lions are terrible. So who's yeah. beating the Packers? Yeah, that division that division might be the <laughs> NFC East. I guess I have to redact that. But, I mean, if to the first statement, I do think they're going to have a disappointing season because I think people are expecting a, a Super Bowl from them. Tinfoil Ferrario theory here. Uh, Rodgers just came back to basically blow up Green Bay Packers team. And at the trade deadline, he's just gonna be like, nah, I don't want to play no more. You guys are, what, 0-7, 0-8? Nah, I don't want to play no more. No, I mean, they'll make the playoffs because the NFC North is so bad. But if, I mean, if somebody was a little bit better than them, I don't know if they'd get a wild card because I think you're getting all the wild card teams from the NFC uh, West. So yeah, I guess I'm. A, I guess I'm, I'm out, out on, on them missing the playoffs. I think they're going to be disappointing though. I think they're going to be fine, which probably means they're going to be terrible. <laughs> but given the way that most of my I mean, opinions have gone so again. far, I mean, you just allowed all of those points against Jameis Winston without Michael Thomas it was a weird week one it was a weird that was a terrible performance in every possible way 
But this stuff happens sometimes where you get into week one and it's like, whoa, where did that come from? And then week two happens and everything kind of gets back closer to what you were anticipating. And that's going to happen for them against Detroit. If it doesn't, if they get beat this weekend, okay, sound the alarm, everything. It's, it's, it's time to be concerned about the Packers. I'm not there yet. I still think this is a 12 and 5, 11 and 6 type of team at worst. I, I think they're going to still make the playoffs. They'll be the clear best team in that division. And they just ran into a New Orleans team that looked fully prepared to go out there and perform at a very high level in week one. Last team to lose to the Saints, 38-3, to just won the Super Bowl last year. Oh, I saw that. That was the Buccaneers. Last year, they lost 38-3. to So we've seen this type of a thing before. Um, it, yeah. I, I think they'll be fine. Marshy, are you, you think they'll be all right? Yeah, and I'm a Vikings fan, too. I think that the Are Packers... you the one that texts in all the time and says Kirk Cousins is great? No, I would never say okay. that. Um, Somebody is doing it. Nah, I mean, you just look at the team all around, the, the division all around. Unless Chicago makes drastic changes at their quarterback position. I actually thought Andy Dalton didn't play terrible last night. I didn't look great, but he didn't play terrible. I think they're... Uh, I'll tell you what was terrible, that weird mustache combination he's got going on yeah, there. Come on, Andy. Weird. That was weird. But, I, I mean, it's it's the Packers. It's Aaron Rodgers. He'll figure it out. It's the the last year, quote unquote. Yeah, the the last dance. The last dance. They're doing the uh, the Michael Jordan thing. All right, six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service tax line for in or out. In or out. The NFL MVP this year will come out of the NFC West. Somebody on the 49ers, Rams, Cardinals, or Seahawks will win the NFL MVP this year. In I'll or out. I'll Alex. say I'm out on this. Because I feel like your better bet is somebody. I mean, there's a lot of other players that can be in on this. And me personally, after watching Dak in week one, I feel like he's a good one. But you still have Aaron Rodgers. You still have Tom Brady. I'll say I'm out on this because for me, I think there's two choices for MVP. I don't think Kyler will get there. I think it's either going to be Stafford or Wilson. See, I'm so in on on Kyler Murray. I'm so in on him. It's not because Just he's because my... Just because he's on your fantasy team, Marshy, doesn't mean you're in on him. He's quarterback three for fantasy. He put up Pat Mahomes numbers yesterday, who is an MVP in mm -hmm. his own right and considered the best quarterback in the league, you know, going up against Tom Brady. That's up to for debate. Uh, depends on where you live. But, yeah, I mean, I think I'm going to go with Kyler. I think NFC West, remember this. Right now, if you're looking at the FanDuel Sportsbook odds, Patrick Mahomes is the current favorite at 6-1. to one. Matthew Stafford is second at 8-1 to one in the MVP odds right now. Then you got Tom Brady and Kyler Murray, both at 9-1. to one, So they're right there. And then it drops off a little bit with Josh Allen at 12-1 to one, and your guy Dak Prescott at 15-1 to one, tied with Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers. I'm going to say out. This has the feel of a Patrick Mahomes MVP year. After watching yesterday... I thought the Chiefs were going to run the ball more this year. I'm starting to lean in the fact that maybe Clyde just isn't that great. Did you see his sidearm throw that he did Mahomes, underneath a defensive dude. lineman? God, that was incredible. It, it was one of the best games I've seen him play as a Chief. I mean, yeah. he, he was incredible yesterday, and they're going to need that over the course of this season because they've got a really difficult schedule, and I think this could be the type of season where you see both Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey go over 1,500 yards. Receiving. So, so Clyde's going to be a bust? 
I don't know about bust. I think he's just average. I don't think they use him the way that they should. That we offensive saw, line struggled, too. We saw spurts last year where he was dominant, and he took over games at some points. But, like, I don't feel like they use him enough. Yeah. I mean, when you have Patrick Mahomes, that's, you don't that's have how it to, goes. Exactly. You know? Which he, is, he's got to make the best of what he's given, and he has not done that so far. So, I'm going to say out on the NFL MVP coming out of the NFC West because I think there's a lot of other options. And if I had to pick one right now, I'm going with a favorite. I think it'll be Patrick Mahomes. I mean, isn't he in the AFC? Correct. So I'm out on it coming out of the NFC West. But I thought we were talking the NFC MVP. There's there's just one MVP. I thought they did the NFC and AFC. Man. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line for in or out. Are you sure? I'm just kidding. In or out, the Padres will make sweeping changes to their lineup this offseason if they miss the postseason. Yeah, they have to. They're supposed to make the playoffs. They're supposed to win the World Series. What are sweeping changes, though? I think they'll get rid of their manager. I don't know if they'd get rid of him. They might. Didn't they just sign him? Yeah. Ting- and I like Tingler. I think he's a pretty good manager. I mean, let's but- be, I mean, let's be honest. You're not getting rid of anybody from your rotation because this might just be an off year. I mean, maybe you maybe you change your pitching coach. But they like, did that. Who are you going to move in terms of personnel from your part. offense? I think Eric Cosmer. Maybe you trade him. But he was already going to go. Yeah. They just couldn't find a taker for him. Tommy Pham's had a rough year for him. Maybe they try to find somebody that can play in the outfield. Uh, it has not been a good season for Jerks and Profar. I think there are upgrades that need to be made. By the way, since coming over there, Adam Frazier has been terrible yeah. for them. He has not lived up to the expectations that they had. I don't, you're, to your point, Alex, I don't know what sweeping changes look like because the lineup is basically going to go as far as you're able to get from guys like Will Myers and Manny Machado, Eric, or uh, Fernando Tetis Jr. and Jake Cronenworth. Yeah, like you have your core pieces there. Like, but again, sweeping changes means you're going to make a move that nobody expected. But like Eric Hosmer or Will Myers, those guys were going to be traded at the deadline. Nobody was willing to take yeah. it on. And your rotation, I mean, look. The, so I, I'm out. I, I don't yeah. think they're going to make sweeping changes. They'll make some upgrades, but I think it'll be more on the on the out, on the edges. Yeah. As opposed to big and time I mean, look, sweeping they, they changes. Think, They've been down this year pitching-wise, but, like, if you tell somebody, like, they're going to move on from you, Darvish, or Blake Snell because they had a one bad year, you're going to be like, are you crazy? I mean, their rotation on paper is legit. It's just it didn't pan out this season. So, yeah, I'm out on this as well. They can blow it up for all I care. <laughs> Trade tra- tra- Tatis to the <laughs> Cardinals, am I right, they're Marcy? not better than the Cardinals, they can, I don't care what they do. All right, final question for you guys. In or out? Tyler O'Neill finishes second on the team in home runs this year. Right now, he is one ahead of Paul Goldschmidt. He has 25. Paul Goldschmidt has 24. He has played 21 fewer games this year than Paul Goldschmidt. In or out, Tyler O'Neill finishes the season second on the team in home runs. I'm going to say I'm in on this. Am I mistaken that Paul Goldschmidt, I mean, usually drops off in September? Or is September still good to him? I mean, I, I think he's been pretty good in September in his career, but he has dropped off a little bit in yeah. September this season so far. I'll say I'm in on this because Tyler O'Neill seems like he's just, it, it just seems like if he's one better than Paul Goldschmidt, that's where this is going to be with him. And the power, of course, sells you on it. They got a lot of games at home, and Tyler O'Neill's had some success at home this season in terms of power. So I'll say I'm in. By the way, Tyler O'Neill's been awesome for the last month and a half now. It's been six weeks of him having a. OPS right around 900 to 1,000. It, it, it really is remarkable how consistent he's been this season. It, it's pretty amazing. So I'm in, I'm in with you. 
I'm going to say out because I want to manifest Paul Goldschmidt having a great end of the season because the Cardinals need him going if they think they, they're going to get a, a chance at playing in that wild card game. Don't get me wrong. Tyler O'Neill has been mashing the ball. So I would love to either way. I'm cool with whatever. Hopefully one of them gets to Marcy, 30. Yeah. You must not know how it goes here on BK and Ferrario. When we say things, we don't manifest them to happen. Yeah, no, but it's the opposite. It usually goes the other way. That's why I'm here, You'll get an MKO on this show. I am here. That's not a thing for me, boys. We'll cross oh, things God, over with the fast lane coming up here in just about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, we're getting back to the NFL, huge NFL weekend. I want to talk to you guys about which teams we learned more about. Teams that went head-to-head, that there was one winner, one loser. Who did we learn more from in that game? Was it the winning side or the losing side? We'll tell you about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. So we learn something in every NFL game, whether you're a winner, a loser, somewhere in between. You always learn something, especially in the first week of the NFL season. No Alex, losers here on BK and Ferrario. Eh, there's some losers, especially the Packers. They were a loser this weekend. Okay. The Steelers were a winner and the Titans definitely a loser. However, <laughs> which team did we learn more about? I think is a different way to frame this. So let's go through a few of these games that were kind of the headliners coming out of the weekend. Let's start with Browns versus Chiefs. Which team did we learn more about in that game, Alex? The Browns or the Chiefs? I think I learned more about the Chiefs. And if if that game wouldn't have gone Kansas City's direction, I think we all would be saying the Browns. But here's the thing. It's what we saw in the playoffs last year, right? Like, the Browns kept it close, but Kansas City, of course, was the better team. It comes down to having the better quarterback, and Patrick Mahomes is a better quarterback. Baker Mayfield throws that ball, which essentially ends their game and their hopes. So... I learned a lot about that Cleveland Browns defense. They're going to be very difficult to play with. The running game is still solid, but I think I learned more about the Chiefs. The Chiefs have the better quarterback in that battle in the AFC, and that's what it's going to come down to. I think I learned more about the Browns just because we know what the Chiefs are. I was not surprised. I'm sure half the country was not surprised that the Chiefs came back and won that game, and they weren't surprised that Baker Mayfield threw an interception in the game. I'm just... You know the Browns are so close. They're 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 here. They were last a year. Quarterback away. See, I I disagree I with that. Baker I played thought great. Yeah, yesterday. he did. He made he made uh, you know a few mistakes and made a, a mistake at the end of the game that cost him the ball game. The game. Well, yes, but at the at the end of the day, you know you do play a full game, and you know they kind of they kind of blew it in that in that second half, but. I think they got a great team. They just need to, to figure it out. They need to be able to close games and against really good teams, obviously. And the, the Chiefs are the best team in the AFC. And that's the team that they kind of compared themselves to. And they couldn't get over the hump. But I still think that they can easily win their division. I was so impressed by the Browns yesterday. So impressed by them. On the road, week one of the NFL season. The Chiefs are undefeated with Patrick Mahomes as their quarterback in the month of September. They have not yet lost a game in September. They always come out with new stuff that nobody has seen on film. Andy Reid is a wizard. And the Browns came out and punched him in the mouth Mm -hmm. early on in that one. And they continued punching the Chiefs in the mouth throughout. And then the fourth quarter happened, and Patrick Mahomes did Patrick Mahomes things. Tyreek Hill was incredible. Travis Kelsey had a great game. The Chiefs' offense did what you'd expect them to do. 
But I felt like I learned more about the Browns in that game than I did the Chiefs. The Browns are the second best team in the AFC right now. They have arrived. There is no longer the bright future Browns. There's just the Browns are good here and now. They should be the favorite to win the AFC North this year. They are the second best team in my mind in that conference. And I think we're going to see that game again. I would not be surprised if that was a preview of what's to come for the AFC championship this year. Baker Mayfield, I was so impressed by his performance yesterday. That looked like the guy that broke the rookie year uh, touchdown record, not the guy that I saw for some of last season where where it was more erratic. Mm -hmm. He did make a bad throw at the very end, but he was being pressured. He was trying to throw it away, and he just couldn't quite get it out of bounds. It happens. I felt like I learned more, though, in that particular game about the Browns than I did the Chiefs. I know what Patrick Mahomes is capable of. I know that they can win in any instance. He's now... He's won an unbelievable number of games in which he's been trailed by uh, double digits. I've got this stat here. They're 9-2 and two in their last 11 games with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback when they were trailing at any point by double digits. That's absurd. 9-2 yeah. and two when you've been trailing at any point by double digits, including the postseason? It, that's who Patrick Mahomes is. That's who he's been. I wasn't surprised by that, but I learned a ton about the Browns. I do think that things will get interesting for Cleveland when when OBJ comes back because when he was in the lineup, it seemed like him and Baker kind of had... Uh, they struggled a little bit because it seemed like he was trying to force it to Odell. And him when, when he finally gets back into the lineup, Things could be different. We don't know. But uh, I, I thought Jarvis Landry, he's just an ultimate utility man. His touchdown run was incredible. All right. Which team did we learn learn more about? The Packers or the Saints? This is going to be the one that's going to be discussed. I've already seen there's some wild takes coming out of First Take and some of the morning shows on ESPN, as you'd expect after a game like that. Who did we learn more about? The Saints who scored 38 on the Packers or the Packers who only scored three? I feel like I learned more about the Saints and the Packers. I just, I'm confused by the Packers right now. I don't think they're going to be that bad all season. I think they'll have a hell of a rebound next week when they take on Detroit. Um, I, I learned a lot about Jameis in the, in the Saints. I learned that he's a legit quarterback. Whatever happened in Tampa Bay, maybe it was his eyesight. Maybe it was the coaching staff. Maybe it was the pressure of being the number one overall pick. But whatever it was, it wasn't working there. The guy looked like a serious quarterback. He looked like a top 10 quarterback for the way he played in that game. And guys, that was without Michael Thomas. Yeah. Like that's without any of his weapons. That's what got me, man. I mean, he was making plays. So I learned more about the Saints because if they can keep this up, they're going to make it very difficult for playoff teams in the NFC. The casual NFL fan, how many of them do you think would recognize uh, Deontay Harris, Jawan Johnson, uh, Adam Troutman, Marquez Callaway. Those were his leading receivers yesterday. I think the only one, if you're not a, if you're, if you're a casual, I'd say Callaway might be the one that maybe sticks out. He was good in college. I knew none of them. Cause I went and checked the waiver wire in the middle of the game, thinking who I could pick up. <laughs> Who'd you learn more about Marshy, the Packers or the saints? Uh, I mean, it's gotta be the saints. Like no I'm one expected that no, it, it comes down to expectations going into it. And no one expected the Packers to, one play like that but i don't think anyone expects the packers to continue playing like that i think that was probably a fluke on their end but i don't think it's a fluke on the saints end i think that they have a legit team we've kind of talked about it throughout the the entire show about Jameis winston and his eyesight and uh just his his overall goofiness but he he 
balled out yesterday. He balled out yesterday. Yeah, and the defense was incredible. I mean, that, that's the other thing that really impressed me was they had some short fields offensively because the defense was so good. I, I'm with you guys. I, I feel like we learn more about the Saints than the Packers. I think the Packers are going to bounce back. They'll be okay. Next one up, the Steelers and Bills. Who do we learn more about in that one? I don't think any of us saw the Steelers going into Buffalo and beating the Bills. Who did we learn more about? In that I, I don't game? know how to answer this one, to be honest with you, because I know Buffalo can't be that bad. And I don't think Pittsburgh's going to be that good. So if I had to pick one, I guess I would say I learned more about God, more about Buffalo because Josh Allen still hasn't taken that next step for me. I mean, he threw the ball a lot yesterday, mm -hmm. but they got to get some type of running game because they're so predictable. But again, like, I feel like I learned some about Pittsburgh, so I'm on the fence with this one. I think I learned more about Pittsburgh just because their defense, I, we knew they were good last year, but the way that the Steelers ended the year, I don't think we necessarily thought that they would have that start that they did last year. But, I mean, man, their defense, shutting down Josh Allen, who people thought was going to be the MVP this year, they, they did one heck of a job, and their special teams came up big. Honest to God, their special teams won them the game. I'm going the Bills on this one. I'm with you, Alex. Their way to competing for the AFC title is through Josh Allen. They just gave him all of the money. And my only remaining question about Allen, because I know he's good. He's a top 10 quarterback in the league right now. I'm on board with all of that. He's an exciting young player. I... The Bills have their franchise quarterback. There's no doubt in my mind about that. But can he lead them to wins against the best of the best? Can he go head-to-head -head against either an elite-level defense or another elite-level quarterback and either outduel that elite-level quarterback or come up with the big plays when he needs them the most against those great defenses? Yesterday, he fell short. And he wasn't good enough to be able to lead the Bills at home to a victory against a Pittsburgh Steelers offense that could do nothing all day long. That's what I learned in that game. Josh Allen still has a little bit more growth to go as a quarterback to be able to get on that elite level with Patrick Mahomes or Russell Wilson. Th those guys still just have another level to them compared to Josh Allen, at least in my mind. All right, last one, Cardinals-Titans. Who'd you learn more about in that one, Alex? Cardinals. And, and I know the, the hype is on Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins mm -hmm. and their offense, but I, I learned more internally about the Cardinals' defense than I did the offense because, I, guys, I mean, Chandler Jones... He was a monster yesterday. What did he have? Five sacks? Mm -hmm. I think they said he was on pace for like 108 sacks this season or something like that. It's ridiculous. So I learned a lot about the Arizona Cardinals because if they can keep that offense up and that defense stays anywhere near what they just performed, they're going to be a tough team to play with in the NFC West. And I'm saying that after I watched the Rams put on a clinic in the first half. I, I think I, I got to be specific with this one. The Cardinals defense, and I've touched on it. I'm a big Kyler Murray guy uh, for obvious reasons with my fantasy team. So I, I paid attention to them. I had them on my team last year, too. So I paid attention to them, almost watched every single game last season. And I knew that their offense could be electric. And they got they got some more weapons there, too. But, I mean, when you got Christian Kirk, who's getting two touchdowns a game, and that's good for their offense. But the thing is, for me, I found a lot about their defense because, I mean, you add J.J. Watt, and I mean, they looked terrific yesterday. Yep. They looked incredible. I'm going Titans in this one. Titans are bad. 
Not good, boys. Not good at all. They don't know who they are offensively right now. And it's going to take some time. You added Julio Jones in the offseason. You got a new play caller. Ryan Tannehill's in a new role with better, better guys around him. And yesterday, he's one for two for 39 yards under play, on play action passes. Two play action passes? Two? You had 35 attempts, and you only faked that you were going to hand off to Derrick Henry on two of them. And both of them, if I'm not mistaken, are the one that he completed. I mean, it was a big play. Yeah, 39 yards on it. I think the thing, though, is they couldn't get their running game going. Well, their defense is terrible. Sure, but you have to use play action. That's what their entire offense was built upon last year. Their offensive coordinator leaves, he goes to the Falcons, and now the offense looks like it doesn't have an identity. They'll get there. It it's going to take some time, though. I didn't think it was going to take this much time. They're out of sorts. They've got the Seahawks, then the Colts the next couple of weeks. Wouldn't be surprised at all if the Titans start the season 0-3 as a result. For me, I learned more about the Titans, although no doubt about it, the Cardinals were super impressive. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Andrew Marsh. I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, we'll cross things over with the fast lane here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. Time to cross things over with the fast lane. We've got Anthony Stalter in studio with us. Stalt, how you doing, man? What a wild day yesterday, huh? Coming down from a God, felt incredible good. NFL weekend. College football, too. I mean, Oregon knocking off Ohio State. As I, I, I predicted. I didn't see that happening, that's for sure. He didn't I predicted, predict I that. predicted everything this week. He didn't predict that, Stoltz. He went 0-3. I knew, I knew Ohio State was going to lose. I knew Texas was going to lose. I knew USC was going to lose. All, all of the stuff that I anticipated, it all went my way. Well, you and I did talk about this on Friday, right? Uh-huh. In college football go the other way of what you saw the previous week texas it doesn't work that way in the nfl for whatever reason it works it works maybe to some degree mm. but you get a little bit more consistency in the nfl i feel like you can take what you learned in college football the previous week and then just fade that material now some of that did hold up iowa state did not did not but play iowa. Well against iowa right but iowa the week before was good so That's fair. what i'm saying is let's let's fade what we saw the previous week Florida State hung with Notre Dame and uh, lost to be outright. Learned. Notre Dame, maybe not as good as we thought. <laughs> maybe yeah, not. Well, that's and, true. And, and Toledo gave them all yeah. they could handle as well. That's the thing. Like these preseason rankings, that when we see a number by somebody's team name on the, the box score, it, it changes our entire perception of what that team is. Well, sure. Arkansas just jumped to number 20 because of their victory, victory against Texas. Yeah. And I'm sorry, so I don't I'd think Arkansas fade, is 20. I would fade. who I don't know who they're playing next week, but I'd fade them. <laughs> Maybe I should put this into practice, right? You need right? to. So uh, I, this is interesting to <laughs> me now. I'm putting it into practice this week. But let's just let's take let's take week two for example. Ohio State won. Uh, they, Arkansas has Georgia Southern. I would wait a week on that one. Well, depending on the line, right? Yeah, that's would true. you have taken half. Would you have taken Jacksonville State? No, but I don't think this is as likely to end. Twenty three and a half. Yeah, that's it. Georgia Southern lost to FAU thirty eight to six last oh, week. I'm definitely taking Georgia. I think I might what take is it? Georgia Southern? Southern that one. It's Arkansas minus twenty three and a half against yeah, Georgia Southern. I think I'll I might jo- do Georgia, Georgia on that Southern. too. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm telling you guys. I'm gonna put this. I'm gonna put this into play. 
in college I football. I might too with our picks. Stanford looked terrible yeah. two weeks ago. They looked terrible. The only one it didn't apply to Stoltz was Illinois. They just they kind of they stayed the course from week two to <laughs> week you, three. But if and you would have faded Mizzou them, was basically the same team. But if you would have faded Illinois this, in week two, coming yeah, off the win against Nebraska, true. you faded them in the opposite good. direction. You would have covered it. Yeah, you're right. Like I said, the only one that would not have worked this this weekend of like the the semi bigger games, right, would have been Iowa Iowa State because you would have had Iowa State yeah. mm-hmm. because Iowa State did not play well against that's what I tried against to do. you and I. It didn't go well. All right. I got a new theory. Stoltz has uncovered a gem here. Maybe. Stoltz, uh, we'll, we'll get you out of here after this. 30 seconds, top line takeaway. Who was the team you felt like you learned the most about in the NFL weekend? Learned the most about? Um, the Browns. The Browns are the most impressive team in a loss. I agree. I, I think the Cowboys were the second best team. But the Cowboys, you know, they played well. But that if if... Chris Godwin doesn't fumble at the goal line. I, th- I think we I think we look at their game a little bit different. But the Cleveland Browns absolutely matched your Chiefs for, what, 55 minutes of that game? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Punter doesn't hold on to the ball. Baker Mayfield, I know I know a lot of people are kind of lamenting on the fact that he threw the interception. That game that game was decided as soon as that punter lost lost the grip. It, that game but was decided on the, the long touchdown pass. From Tyreek Hill. To Tyreek Tyree Perfect. That's that's where the game, it's flipped on a dime in that exact moment. Other than that, correct game plan offensively, check. Correct game plan defensively, check. I mean, they, they harassed Patrick Mahomes, but you got Patrick Mahomes. But they ran the ball. They pressured. I thought they, they were the most impressive team in a loss. And I have I have been the guy that has been like, it's still the Browns. It's still the Browns. It's still the Browns. They're not. They're they're better. They're a better team than what their history has shown. Now, can they win? We saw it yesterday. They just they haven't been able to get over the hump. That doesn't mean that they won't at some point. What's coming up today on the fast line, man? Well, we're doing. I mean, the the weekend was great. Cardinals now. I mean, they're knocking on the door in the wild card. You got NFL, college, maybe a little blues as well. This is this has been this is a fun time of year. Love it. It's my favorite time of the year personally. You've got meaningful baseball for the Cardinals. You've got the football back in action. As Alex knows, hockey's starting up here in about a week or so. I can't wait for that. So it's gonna be a lot of fun. Looking forward to the fast lane coming up from two to six. We'll be back at our normal time tomorrow from eleven to two, right here on one oh one ESPN.